Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. There's still time, the AFTN Soccer Show. Broadcasting on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM, from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Philippe Argeho. And there's no Zach this week. He's never made it back from the island. I'm a bit worried, Philippe. I think... I was going to say I think he might be celebrating too much, but... He did appear on the TV after the first goal on Saturday and I froze it and I said to Caitlin, oh look, there's Zach. I went, he's not, he's not jumping up and down. And Caitlin's words to me were, he doesn't strike me as a guy that would jump up and down. Wasn't sure how to take that. Hmm, no, I don't, I'm not sure how Zach would take that. Yeah, but yeah, he's, he's cock-a-hoop, obviously, after the big Derby Day success, so... Him and his family is having a, a long weekend over on the island. He did offer to record this at midnight when he got back on Sunday. But uh, the reason we've not had you on more often, Felipe, is our recordings have been starting at 11.30 and midnight the last few weeks. Yeah, that's not an ideal time for myself. <laughs> it's not an ideal time for me when we're finishing after two o'clock and I'm struggling to stay awake. But we're, we're going to keep things tight. We're going we're gonna to have... Good early Sunday recording this week, so kind of have to because the the games are coming thick and fast for mm. for the Whitecaps, and we're going to talk Whitecaps in this part and next part along with MLS Part Three. We'll bring you our feature interview this episode, which is with Cavalry head coach and friend of the show Tommy Bielden Jr., and then we'll do a CPL roundup for an exciting and somewhat controversial weekend of CPL action, but. We're going to start things off talking Whitecaps. And last week, I said, what a difference a week made. Because I was very confident after the TFC game that the Whitecaps would be top four. Maybe even top two. And maybe, maybe even winning the West. But a lot had to to go in their favour, which basically it was in their own hands. Seven wins. They were top of the West. Now, Felipe, it looks like they're kind of limping into the playoffs a little bit. Yeah, it's not been a not good run of form lately. Last four games, two points out of a possible 12 is not ideal, especially going into the last few weeks of the season and just ahead of playoffs. 
obviously the travel and and everything that they go to going from altitude to different temperatures mm-hmm. going going back to vancouver and then traveling again obviously all of that has taken its toll but even still i would have figured that we would have had at least you know picked up a one win in those four matches especially against these last two opponents well i mean that was the thing we, we talked that these on paper when you looked at the last five games these were the two very winnable games, almost must winnable games because of how the the season was ending against three very strong teams. And I I brought out an extra podcast midweek for the Colorado game, but we'll have a just a quick chat about that just now because four points have been dropped from that possible six in these two games. And I, I felt at the final whistle on Wednesday, I felt a bit down and I was like, oh man, we have just blown a great opportunity. On the other hand, at least they fought back to get a point. But I, but then I kind of put it in the bigger context. And as you said, and Vanny spoke about this as well after the the game on Wednesday night, they, they've gone from heat and humidity to two games in altitude. And they had three tough games and an eight game spell you look at that run and they only lost two of those seven games. And they they came away with more points from the seven game road stretch than they lost. Just by one, but still it was more points than they'd gained. And it was four more than the minimum that Vanny had set of one point per game. So thinking about it, I calmed down a bit and I thought, you know, it's not too bad after all. How were you feeling after that Colorado game? Obviously disappointed uh, because it was a very winnable game against a team that really had nothing to lose. But as we've seen, especially in the CPL with Vancouver FC that I will talk about later, when teams have nothing to lose, they seem to be playing a lot better than Mm. when they were fighting for a playoff spot. And Colorado's fight back uh, in the second half impressed me. I think that the subs that came on in that second half made the difference. And I think that's a luxury that the Whitecaps don't really have right now because, as Vanny told us after the game uh, yesterday, uh, DC, that uh, no one's at 100% for them. Yeah. No one at all is at 100%. Not even the kit man, he said. Yeah, which and... is concerning considering this is the toughest part of the season coming up. Exactly. And so I think after Colorado, you want to give a bit of it a doubt because of all the travel that they had to go through. But at the same time, they should be able to get across the line in some games. doesn't have to be pretty. Mm. Obviously, they can't always play the the fluid way that they we've seen them play and the way that they press at the, from the front and everything. You know, you can't always play like that, especially when you're super tired. But it's finding a different way to win. And that's something that I haven't, like, I was a bit disappointed that I didn't see from the Whitecaps against Colorado and even against DC. Yeah, I mean, finding that different way to win is like I think hit it on the head because right now the Whitecaps way to win is it's the Ryan Bryan show Mm. and Manuel Veth asked Vanny this question after the game yesterday it's like everyone knows that teams will work away to negate that so someone else has to stand up then someone has to step up and I, I feel our midfield right now it's where things are kind of falling apart a little bit I mean we'll talk defense as well in a bit but I I put in my match report from yesterday at halftime 
I felt very open game. Neither team had really taken control of it. So whatever team had taken that middle of the park by the scruff of the neck yesterday would have come away the winners. And neither team did. Yep. And I think that is our key to doing something different. And in the next part, we'll, well, maybe even in this part, we'll kind of look to see who we might have in the, the team going forward. But where do you think it's fallen down? Uh, it's tough to pinpoint one area of the pitch because I think it's such a, it, it's in the moments. It just, we're, I think it's a lot of moments where we're missing it, whether we're half step behind when we're tracking a player or we're half step behind with a pass and the pass goes through just little moments I've seen where it doesn't quite connect and players are making silly mistakes that we usually wouldn't make, see them make Mm -hmm. because they've switched off for a moment and then they make the mistakes that we, we we've seen in these last few games. So it's hard. I mean, the midfield, you know, I think a great example is Andres Kouas because in the first half of the season, he was my player of the season. He was incredible. He was unplayable. But I felt like not a lot of people have been talking about Kubas in the second half of the season. And part of that is because of the rise of the Ryan Bryan show. But also just because I feel like he hasn't really been as maybe effective mm. as he was in that first half. Maybe be due to tiredness. You know, he had he's had a, a couple of knocks. He's gone to international duty. Maybe he's getting tired and the legs aren't there as much as it was in the first part of the season. And I think that's a great example of a player. He's a DP player. He's still quality. He still makes some, some important tackles and, and recoveries, but he's not wowing me like before where like if a defensive midfielder at the end of the game, you, you think, wow, he had a fantastic performance when usually defensive midfielders don't really get much credit or not even that much attention because they're the sort of the, just the, the, the working class players that just, they kind of do their business and just sort of start the move. And then the flashy ending is what you remember. Kuwas was a, was an integral part of that. And he hasn't really done that for me in the last few weeks. So I think like just as an example of like, I think it's just a few players, their quality, well, not maybe not their quality, but their form has dipped a little bit. And yeah. if you put injuries and fatigue and everything together, I think, you know, little bits, but across everyone across the pitch, it, it it's it piles up and then it becomes worse and it becomes the drop in in results that we've seen the last few games. I'll throw another player in there as well, which is Pedro Viti. Hmm. He had hit a rich vein of form, but now I've just looked and in the last nine games, all he's got contribution wise out of that is one assist. Hmm. And. Yeah. I know he's been in and out of the, the starting lineup a little bit, but he, he started more often than not. So they need him to step up or they need to find a way to get him more involved again. And, and the Vitae that we saw early in the season, because going into this year, I had questions over him. And to start the year, I wasn't sure. But then he came into his game and it's like, that's the Pedro Vitae we were sold. That's the player that you want to see. And then for whatever reason, he's just dropped off as well. Yeah. And like at the end of last season, he was sort of starting to come into his own in the last few games during that like last ditch run before we got eliminated on decision day. And I was also wondering whether he was going to be able to grow from that in this season. And he has, you know, he loves an early goal. We've seen Mm -hmm. that time and time again. And I was sort of hoping for that because I feel like, 
you know, I mentioned this in, a, in another podcast, but for the Whitecaps to win a game at this point in the season with how tired they are, they have to kill the game in 30 minutes. Yeah. They have to kill the game in the first half hour. If they can get two goals up, ideally three goals up, but if they can get two goals up, I think that's safe enough for them to sort of like hold it down as long as they don't make too many mistakes and to win a game. It might not be pretty again, but it's enough. That's I think the thing that has been a little bit of a letdown for me in the last two games is that they get a goal early ish, early enough, you know, within the first 15, 20 minutes, but then they don't build on it and they have opportunities to build on it. And then that continues to, you know, be the thing that you think about, you sort of regret and rue at the end. And with players like Pedro Ita, you want, because he's such an impact player, you want him, if he's starting to score an early goal, and if he's coming on, you know, in the second half, to have an immediate impact so he can score a goal, maybe a second goal or a third goal, to kind of, you know, finish the game off. And yeah, he hasn't maybe shown as much as we saw in the first half of the season. Um, in the second half, he's still a fantastic player, and the way that he connects with with the team is really, really good. The, his build up play is still super solid, but I mean, it's like everyone right now; they're just missing a little bit of that finishing touch, that that little edge that they had early in the season. And I think a lot of it has to come down to to the fatigue that they have. Oh, I mean, they definitely are tired. And I said to Vanny on Wednesday night, he looked tired, and then he mentioned mm. that he's on lots of drugs at the moment. But legal legal uh, drugs legal drugs he was very legal keen to, to stress um yeah he's got uh he's got foot pain and he thought he was coming down with a cold on on wednesday and stuff as well which you're gonna get going from airport to airport and just flying all over the place yeah. but talking about not getting a second goal and putting teams to bed early brings us nicely into saturday's match against dc and i mean it, it was disappointing there's no getting away from that it was a DC team that didn't really... At, at no point did I feel that they were there for a victory. Mm. Which was weird because they only had three games left, including that game. And every point is a premium for them right now. And they had to get all three points. But they just seemed yeah. content to be like, okay, let's just get away with this with a draw. Whereas I think if they had turned it up a notch, which they kind of did in the closing moments, but too mm-hmm. little too late... I think they could easily have come away with the three points. It just needed one team to step up. And, I mean, they didn't. And the Whitecaps scored within the first two minutes. Beautiful header again from Brian White. It's 14th of the season in MLS. 18th of the season overall. Career year. Now moved within one of the golden boot. Gold's 11th assist of the season. And... I genuinely felt at that point, oh, they're going to go on. This is going to be a comfortable victory now. And I think without a seven-game road stretch, they probably would have. Yeah. And that's the thing where where with this team is that when you see the game in isolation, you think that that's not a good result. You know, you need to win that kind of game against that kind of opponent. When you take it in the greater context and you think about, you know, if this was the white caps right before leagues cup right when it was when they were in a pretty rich vein of form home in a way they got their first win against lafc away win against lafc i think if that team when that kind of physical level that they were at would face colorado like if they would face colorado at the time they should have faced colorado and if they would have faced dc united without that colorado 
Colorado game in the mm. middle. I think those would have been two different results given the time and given the form of the teams. That's very good. I hadn't even thought of that aspect of it, but no, that's a very, very good point. And yeah, I, you wanted the Whitecaps to push on and get that second goal. And I think that would have been the end of DC. I think, I don't know that they would have had to fight in them to, to come back, but instead, literally handed them the equaliser in the 11th minute. And there's a couple of things to look at with this. First of all, initially, I thought it was offside. And then when you when you watch it back, it's like, oh, no, he's been tech. He's played on perfectly. It's Ku- like... Kuas to... was... Yeah. I no man's... Nowhere, I, don't, I don't know like, what I he was doing. I don't know what he was doing, but he was just playing playing Benteke on. Yeah. Um, You'll obviously focus on the slip of Tristan Blackman, and it's like, player slip, it's a slippy pitch, turf pitches, they're watered so much, and player slip. It's unfortunate, I feel, that it's happened for Tristan, because I've been banging on that he needs a rest. He looks tired out there, and he does not look the Tristan Blackman that he did earlier in the season. And, I mean, he'll beat himself up for that slip, but at the same point, Takaoka is playing with fire at playing that ball to him. Yeah, and I think like Takaoka in the last few games has sort of dipped a little bit too in some mistakes like we saw, maybe some saves that he should have made, um, his positioning, you know, in the uh, in the game against, I think it was RSL, right? The, the free kick from 40 yeah. yards that should never have gone in. So I feel like in the last few games, he's also kind of dipped in form. Again, likely, you know, has obviously to do with fatigue and travel. But I think for me, what that what was smart from DC, and I think uh, Wayne Rooney or or maybe Carl Robinson or anyone else in the technical staff, what they did very very uh, cleverly was they knew that this white cap side was tired, and they probably knew that they had mistakes in them. So they went for a very high press. The very very high, very high press. You saw Benteke sprinting. You saw the whole forward line sprinting. Uh, uh, Dupietro uh, sprinting to press the back line, who usually is quite composed because that's the whole reason why we brought Takaoka. He's great with his feet, and he's like an extra center back. That's what Vanny said. This like when he when we have possession, he's basically an extra center back, so it's easier to maintain possession. But I think because they knew they were tired, the fact that they put so much pressure on our back line as we were passing out, and they knew that's how we like to build from the back, passing in through the back, then finding out of the wing backs or getting to Kuas, and the Kuas chips it into to Gold or Brian or the wing backs. The fact that they knew that that's where we start with, and they pressed that and know, knew that that was where we made mistakes, evidently is where we made the mistake. So I think, yes, it was a, we, we did shoot ourselves in the foot. But I think it was also partially the plan from DC to do to sort of induce that happening by putting on that high of a press. Because I'll be honest, I was surprised they were pressing that much at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was opening themselves up way too much to the Whitecaps. And usually I think if the Whitecaps were well rested, it would have been a bit of a suicide plan for them because it's easy just to go over the top and with players like Brian White and Ryan Gold and Pacey players like like Richie uh, uh, and uh, uh, even like Ali and and Ryan when he came on, 
those players can punish you on the counterattack. But because we were so tired, it actually paid off for them and eventually we gave them that gift. So I think, you know, a lot of it actually is DC having a good game plan. Yeah, the, the thing with Takaoka, I, I feel, and it, not in this case because it was a, a pass out, but like you, you talk about being in the wrong place sometimes or saves he should have made. I think in his head, he decides what he's going to do and he just goes fully for that. But often the ball has not gone where he's expected it to go. And then he's caught out of position a little bit. And I still think he's a he's a good keeper. I think he's been an upgrade, but I I don't know. I mean, every team, if you if you're not going to win the championship or if you don't make the playoff, you you're going to look back at certain moments. And the, there's certainly some that Tack has had that certainly stand out as well. But you mentioned Richie there, and th- this for me was the game changing moment. It's a two-on-one break, midway in the first half. Larea, he's got White in the inside. You just have to play the pass. And it's criminally overhit. Yeah. And, and like, if, if that was gold going forward because of the chemistry they've got, they know where everyone's going to be, it goes inside to White. I don't think White misses from there. It's 2-1. And I genuinely don't think there's any way back for DC after that. I don't know if... Richie's just still getting used to the pitch because the Whitecaps didn't train in the pitch this week. They trained up at UBC, which is something that I'd like to speak to Vanny about at some point as well. I don't know if that's detrimental to the team. The players want to train on on grass. That's always been said. But sometimes I feel when you've got new players in that maybe isn't used to it and you're trying to get the quick, quick things going you need to be a bit more familiar with the pitch and I'm maybe giving Larry a huge benefit of the doubt here and just saying he the pitch was playing quicker than he thought but for a Canadian international player that pass had to be better yeah and actually I was even talking about it I think he played the pass too early I think he had the pace on him to beat his man go all the way up to to basically the goalie's box and then put it across on a plate for Brian White, make it even easier mm. for him as a simple tap-in rather than having him to, you know, having to beat the keeper on a one-on-one, which I still think he would have done. But it was just, there were op- so many options for him. And the fact that a player of his seniority, obviously, and his experience to not do that, I mean, yeah, I think the pitch is a huge reason. that we. I remember we, uh, a few was joked in the press box that that's a player who's still not used to playing on, uh, on turf. Yeah, and some of the ways that he was trying to dribble past and and you know, uh, Lorea is good at what Richie does, which is basically he loves to win fouls, he loves to take on his man, beat his man, and cross a ball. And that's what he's amazing at, and that's one of the reasons why he signed him. And we have seen that throughout his short stint with him. But I think yeah, I think he's just not still quite used to the turf. And I think you know it would be great for them to train more on turf. I actually think Tuesday they are training at BC Place. Yeah. Before the St. Louis game, which I think would be huge, especially for players like him and Sam and Junior to try to get used to what it is to play on turf again. I think it would be very like uh, it's a great move for them just to have a little make an extra hour and a half on, when you don't have the you know, when you're not under the lights mm-hmm. to get used to the pitch. So that way you when you are, you know, on game time, you're already used to how it works and how it moves and everything. So, yeah, it's it's a. It's still a bad miss. It's still a bad pass. But I think uh, if Richie 
had a few more weeks under his belt where he was used to playing at home more. If it wasn't such a seven, you know, every match after the San Jose game just being all the way match and he had more time to play on a turf field, I think it would it would have been different. Because I talk about this, the certain moments that can stand out for you at the end of the season. That could be one of them. That miss that he had in front of goal. All the games are blurring into one. I can't even remember who that was against now. Might have been Colorado. Might have been RSL. But the one that he blasted over from close range and yeah. stoppage time. And it's like, these are the things, especially if you're possibly going to be on a DP contract, you need to be finishing those. And yeah. it, it's tough. But... A DP did score for the Whitecaps in the second half to put them back in the lead again. Ryan Gold from the spot. And it, it went to video review. Now, Vanny said afterwards he, he surprised the referee didn't even call it on the pitch. I saw it a couple of times on the replay and I still wasn't 100% sure that it was a penalty. I think White embellishes going down a little bit. But it's from one of the angles, you see he just gets his leg ahead and just gets caught. But from another yeah. angle, it, it looks like he catches the back of the other guy. But, I mean, did, was that a penalty for you? I think it was. A bit, like, I had to see it a few times, too. I think, you know, initially I thought it was the first contact. And the first contact didn't look like a foul. Like, with the defenders, I think it was his right leg. But then Brian got it. And then the second contact with the, I think it was the defender's left leg clipped Ryan's calf, I think, or it was yeah, the ankle. He clipped Ryan. He clipped Ryan and then that and then, then Brian fell. And so I think the second contact was what warranted the penalty. Because I on first look, I was looking at the first contact, which was when Brian just got to the ball. I thought that's where the foul was, and it didn't look like a foul to me. It didn't look like he clipped him at all. But then after watching a replay from like sort of like a back angle. I saw that, oh, there was a second touch, there was a second contact, and that second contact actually clipped him and he fell down. So I thought it was the correct call in the end. Um, I'm surprised that they actually reversed it because usually, you know, it's clear and obvious rule. Obviously, you know, this weekend has not been a great weekend for VAR and, and how uh, transparent it is. Yeah, now, when Vanny mentioned that, uh, about what happened in England and the press conference, I hadn't caught up with the, the English games at that point, so I, mm. I didn't know what it was talking about. So I immediately went home and I was like, what's happened? I can't believe that. Oh, yeah. there was some miscommunication. Yeah. That's the whole point of having VAR. And yeah, if you're, that's... that's a... If you're Liverpool and you've lost the game, wow. Yeah, that's what I was, I was talking about with my partner, where it was... That wasn't. That's not just a miscommunication. Like that was the official statement. That's not a miscommunication. That's gross negligence. That, that is, cannot happen. No. When you are the VAR, for that. exactly. That's what I said. Is they need harsher punishment, suspension, fines, the same thing that players have and coaches have when they get severely out of line. Not just being taken. Basically, they said to the two guys here, kindly take Sunday and Monday off. We'll mm -hmm. see you back Friday. Yeah. That was the punishment. It it's, just. It's it's ridiculous. At the end of the season. Liverpool could miss a Champions League spot by a point or they, three points. And you look on back the, at that moment of the season. Yeah, on the form that they were on prior to... Like, I'm a Spurs fan, so I was happy. But on the, on the form <laughs> they were prior to that match, I mean, that point could be the difference between them finishing second behind a team like Manchester City. 
So like at, at the top level, when you know Premier League's supposed to be like the number one league in the in the world for that to happen is ridiculous. But you know we're getting off topic. Oh, um, I know. Last thing I'll say though is I hate Spurs, but I love Ange, and it's like now I'm conflicted. I wanted to do so well, but because he was such a character at Celtic, he's just, he's one of those, he's like, he's like a Bruce Arena, picking my words carefully here, in that mm. he can be quite grumpy with media, but he's got this dry sense of humour that really comes across as well. He's, he's a lot, I think there's probably more idiotic questions that he had in Scotland than England where he was a bit prickly at times in Scotland, but he's really shown in England his personality and his jokes and characters, and I think the media there is just loving him. Yeah, they're eating him up, and yeah. honestly, same same with all the fans. Yeah. I, I think it's he's been fantastic. But, uh, uh, yeah, VAR. So yeah. the VAR call. Well, in, I think funnily was, enough, we might be talking about VAR in the final part as well when we're talking about oh, CPL. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Favourite topic, we're talking yeah. about CPL. Let's get to the equaliser and just wrap this game up. But it was unfortunate because the deflection just fell to Klitsch. Right place, right time. He took it superbly. Mm. First time volley, bottom corner, beautiful finish. Wide open though, again. Just like handing yeah. him. Now, yeah, you're maybe not expecting the deflection to come to him, but at least mark up. Yeah. No, for me, it wasn't even that. That was the the disappointing part for me of that goal. It was before when uh, I forget who it was, but one of the DC players skipped past three tackles. Oh, and yeah, the, the and there was three like this is where Vanny says his team was soft. That yep. was a perfect encapsulation of it. Three soft tackles, one of them being Andres Cubas. If this was Andres Cubas from first half of the season, he would have clamped him down. Yep. It would have maybe been a foul. Maybe even getting a card. But, but that's, one of those, that's one of those tackles that is worth getting a card. Because you've just exactly. stopped the guy going on a run. That then exactly. And then up. it went to the left. And that's when the cross got deflected right to click. And that's where I saw, like, even before, when I, as soon as he skipped past the three challenges, I thought, oh, boy, we're in trouble here. Because yeah. that shouldn't happen. The, pretty much the entire midfield. He skipped past three, the entire midfield. I think that's why my opening thing about this was, I just have concerns about this midfield because we need a destroyer in there that Kubis was and as you say he's kind of fallen off. So I mean that was bad. I mean the the first half both shots just had one or both teams just had one shot on target and it was just one shot in general for DC. But like even after the equalized here, you still thought the White Caps were gonna go on and win it. And they had chances and Bono pulled off some good saves. Mm. last real thing to talk about in the game when Ali was sent crashing to the deck was that a penalty for you or not I I don't know because here's the thing again the rules are a bit vague mm. you're allowed to do shoulder to shoulder mm -hmm. contact but there's also you, you get called for a shoulder charge and what's funny to me is that there's a little bit of a lack of consistency because in my mind if something's a foul outside of the box it should be a foul inside the box yeah and the, it should be the ref gave a free kick for a shoulder for, charge on Ryan I, Raposo. Yeah, which I thought it's kind of 50 50, maybe 60 40 in the bad way. But I mean, it's, it was a robust old fashioned challenge. I wouldn't have given a free kick for that. But if you've given a free referee. kick for that, exactly, you have how are you to not giving it, it in the box? Exactly. So that was for me the biggest thing is like whether that was a penalty 
in isolation. I don't know. That one's 50 50. Mm. But the fact that he gave a free kick for Ryan Raposo for getting shoulder charged on, on the touchline, literally, what, 10 minutes before the Ali uh, shoulder charge? There's where I was like, okay, well, at least show a little bit of, you know, consistency. Because then if you call that as a foul, that should be a foul. And it wasn't a foul. So that's yeah. where I was like a little bit miffed about it. I, I'm always, when I look at these, it's like, I can see why it wouldn't be given. I can see why it would. So then I guess if you've got that in your mind, you, you can't override the decision on the pitch because the referees made that first decision. So it's then not obviously clear and obvious to, to change his mind, but... I mean, it, it was just disappointing all round. As you said, Vanny said afterwards, the team was soft and they are tired. There is no getting away from that. I, I touched on this on the extra podcast. The seven games away, it shouldn't happen. In a league like MLS, things should happen that there's a home game thrown in unless there's stadium issues. And unfortunately, there there was because there was three big concerts at BC Place. You had Beyonce, you had Coldplay, you had Ed Sheeran. So that ate up some of the dates. You're then battling with BC Lions for dates as well. And the Whitecaps wanted to have Decision Day as a home game. So they picked that date. So that let BC Lions have the one available date at home in September that they could have had for, for a weekend game. So that was partly why. And then you've got the Colorado thing that wasn't meant to be in part of this run as well. But... I mean, it is what it is. The problem is, you talk about then being back at home, and their their home form has been patchy. And we looked at this last year when when they didn't make the playoffs. It was those big points dropped at home that cost them. And it's worrying that this could be the same thing. San Jose, this, going back even further. Other points dropped earlier in the season. It, it's not going to be easy. We'll look at this in the next part as to, to who's coming up. But last thing I just want to talk about, DC, coming to BC Place, it was the return of Carl Robinson. Um, if anyone hasn't read Har's interview with him, from the little quotes that I've seen, it's a little bit of revisionist history as to, to what went on by Robbo. But I have always said that I, I think Robbo doesn't get the credit for what he did with the team that he had. I don't think he can totally come out and say that he didn't have the money because the team was in the top third of spending in a number of seasons when he was here. But, I mean, it, it's... Har had asked me, oh, is there anything you want me to ask him? And I gave her a suggestion, but she didn't ask it. I just wanted to find out if he had misunderstood what base salary meant in MLS. <laughs> but for some reason, she didn't ask him that. But mm. I mean... You weren't here for the Robo era, but from afar, how do you view the White Caps under Robo? When, you know, as somebody that grew up in Ontario and in Toronto, and really I only followed Toronto a little bit, so I went to a few games. When I thought of the, the, the White Caps under Carl Robinson, and that especially in that 2015 to 2017 era, that was for me what I think about when I think about the White Caps. As like that in the MLS era is the best Whitecaps that I've seen. Yeah, and... he took them deep in the playoffs. He should have taken yeah. them deeper, but that's a whole other thing that we've mentioned a lot in the show. But he did well with them. Yeah, and he is, you know, now knowing more about the team, you know, probably, I mean, Vanny's definitely in the conversation now, but 
probably the best coach that the Whitecaps have had in the MLS era. So, uh, it, you know, from that point of view, you think of about what he's done and you can't say that he did a poor job. He could have done a little bit more, sure. But I think it's nice for him to maybe kind of think about his time and say, I did what I could. And, you know, obviously you're not going to expect him to come out with some quotes of like, yeah, no, but the board screwed me over or like, yeah, no, and this player let me down. You know, I don't think he's going to come out like that. But uh, it was nice to for the Vancouver um, folk who have been there since the start to see uh, a face like Rebel back in the building. Yeah, I, I, I went to say hi to him after the game last night after speaking to Vanny, but it was in the shower, so I never got a chance to. But yeah, I, I would not be surprised if Robo, he, I, I could see him ending up back in Toronto as Herman's assistant. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. that would actually be a good appointment for him and it would be good for John to have that there as well. It's interesting when you look at the Whitecaps coaches, Tater Torterson, like in the MLS era, Tater Torterson disappeared after getting the Whitecaps. Martin Rennie went back to lower league and then last year was in the third tier in Scottish football and did not do well there with Kenny Miller as his assistant. Um, and that went horrible at Falkirk. And then you've got Kyle Robinson, who's back being an assistant. So, Mark DeSantis, an assistant again. So, have we ever really had a proper bona fide head coach? Because, like, even Vanny wasn't really a head coach that you thought of when he was appointed. So, just an an interesting one. Let let us know your thoughts, as always, on that. But we're going to talk more Whitecaps and MLS in the next part. We'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Brian White, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. That's a televised mind. That's a televised mind. That's a televised mind. Swipe your thoughts from Broadway. Turn ideas to cabaret. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month for September here at AFTN. I know we've moved into October, it's basically still September. But because we had that gap for the vacation, I feel I didn't really do Fontaine's DC justice. So it's a five, six show month coming up in October. Lots of time for our new Artist of the Month, which I, I, I won't tell you who they are yet. All I will say is they're Italian and it's to help inspire Vanny over the line. But they'll be coming up in the next show. So we've got a couple of Fontaine's DC's songs on this show and also one from lead singer Grian Chatton. That was a track from their second album, 2020's A Hero's Death, called Televised Mind. We've got one more to come from the band and one more from Grian. 
But we're going to continue talking Whitecaps and then turn our attention to the wider MLS thing in this part. Disappointing. No other words for the last two games. Squandered is a word I've used a lot in my match reports and online because it does feel like squandered opportunities. And I'd made so much about, oh, the Whitecaps, their last three games are against the top three in the West. Not anymore. After Mm -mm. a shock result today when RSL not only beat LAFC in LA, Arango came back to score the winner, and RSL have moved into second. Bizarro land. We'll get into that shortly. The the Whitecaps are in a battle. Whether they're playing the 1, 2 and 3, whether they're playing the 1, 3 and 4, they're in tough. They're, They're still in sixth in the West. They're sitting on 43 points. Crazily, with how tight it is, Only St. Louis in the West have clinched a playoff spot. Only Colorado have been eliminated. 12 teams still harbour postseason hopes. Compared to the East, seven teams have already clinched and there's just two places up for grabs there. So the West is absolutely nuts this year. And the Whitecaps are sitting sixth. They're three points off second. They're also just above the playoff line, well, the ninth place team, who's on 41, but they do have a five-point cushion on the 10th place team, Kansas City, who have played a game more. Minnesota, though, also five points behind and the same points as Vancouver. How concerned are you, Felipe, about the the Whitecaps in this run-in? And I'll put this in two questions to you. Are you concerned that they might not make the playoffs or are you pretty sure they'll get in but you're a little bit concerned where they might be in the grand scheme of things i think it's more of the second one for me i'm pretty confident that they'll get in i'm i'd say 75 percent confident that they'll get into the playoffs it's more about where uh, they get into the playoffs, and I think you know people's expectations have slowly shifted to shifted back to let's just make the playoffs. Obviously, earlier people were like, let's make top four. Now it's shifted back to let's just let's just deal and get to the playoffs. Let's just clinch it and be done with it, and then focus on what happens next when we get there. Uh, I think for me, I'm sort of adopting a little bit of that mentality as well, where. Uh, obviously I want to see them rise as high as they can in the table. And if they can get into that top four position, then fantastic. They still very much have that in their hands, but looking at the opposition that they have left, you know, first, second and fourth, looking at, you know, the fact that they'll have to go to Seattle in Seattle, they have to host St. Louis, right? Like literally on Wednesday, just after playing on Saturday as well it makes it even more tough. So I feel for them that as long as they can get, I think with two, what, two more points, depending on other results, that should mm. be enough to to clinch it. Uh, obviously, you know, I think the scenario is for Wednesday, if we win against St. Louis, there's a big if there. If we win against St. Louis and Minnesota and LA Galaxy don't win, if they draw or lose, then we clinch the playoffs. I believe that is the scenario, the guaranteed 
scenario. There's a few. I think there's a, another scenario because of teams facing other teams where we still might clinch it without winning. Uh, but that's that's too much a headache for me to try to look into. Yeah, uh, I mean, it all gets a bit complicated. And I, oh, I, I'm wary seeing these words out loud. I think they're in with their current points total. And I'll tell you why I think uh, that. Okay. Because obviously we're looking at top nine at this at this stage. So yeah. below the playoff line on 38 are Kansas City and Minnesota. They play each other in one of their remaining games. So Kansas City only have two games left to go. So the most points Kansas City can get is 44. Which they, they could easily get. Which obviously if Vancouver don't get any more, it overtakes them. But one of those games is against Minnesota. Minnesota also have the two LA teams to play. I don't mm. see Minnesota winning out. So yeah. I think one point might still be needed. But I think just the way that things will play out, 43 will get the white caps in. Now, obviously, we don't want to rest on our laurels here. And that might not even be the case because teams could go on runs, as we've seen with Portland and Houston and other teams over the, the season. But I think they're probably in. But you do not want to be going in winless in... If they don't take any points from, from... or get any wins in these last three games, winless in seven games. That is not the form to go into the playoffs with. No, not at all. And especially at the time that it comes at, you know, it's you couldn't have worse timing. If this happened in the middle of the season... It would still be bad, but you could still be like, we could bounce back from this and rise back up the table. Um, but the fact that we're going into this, into the playoffs, tired, disappointed, you know, maybe having some questions about, you know, are is that is it really working the team as it is right now, you know, with the defense and the midfields, it's the worst time to do it right mm. before playoffs because, you know, in playoffs, and I've I've always said this, the rest of the season doesn't matter. The past doesn't matter. As soon as that uh, you know first whistle goes, all that matters is that your performance in that ninety minutes. Nobody cares how well you did in the regular season or how poor you did in the regular season. It's and for me there, it's just about mentality. It's about how sharp and ready are you for that game because it's literally going to be about which team wants it more. And right now, the Whitecaps, you can see the desire there. And I was sort of hoping that, you know, against D.C., it's their homecoming. There, there was a huge crowd, 19,000 and a half, I think it was. Yeah, I was well, worried about that. When the Whitecaps said before the game, it's the, one of the biggest crowds of the year, I was like, oh, been there before and they fall flat when the big crowds turn up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, opening day against RSL. It was uh, it was one where again they 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 lost at their leading, and it was uh, it it was hoping that that would give them that boost that that would get them across the line you know despite being so tired the little bit of adrenaline that kind of you know that that spirit of the crowd would push them on evidently it didn't which shows that even a a roaring you know home crowd behind you still isn't enough. To get you across the line when you're not playing at your best is yeah. a little is a little concerning as well. So I think these next three matches, it's not even for me about can you win the game. For me, is can you go toe to toe with this team 
and prove that you can, it can go either way. Because these are top teams. St. Louis, no one expected to have the year that they did in 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 winning the, the Western Conference. Uh, Seattle have really bounced back uh, after their poor season last season. And LAFC have been sort of hit and go since the CONCACAF Champions League, but they're still very dangerous. So with these teams, for me, it's more of the performances. Because like you said, I still think even worst comes to worst, we'll still make it just about. So it's obviously I'd love some wins or, or at least some draws. But for me, it's about the performances yeah. to show are they ready and capable to take these teams on when it comes to a playoff situation. Because Vanny even mentioned these next few games were, are playoffs. They are playoff games. So this is going to be a testament to when playoffs actually come. What are we going to see from them? Well, I think one of the frustrating things, one of the many frustrating things from that DC draw was all the other results went in the Whitecaps' favour. It was a great weekend for for the Whitecaps. It was even added to today with RSL beating LAFC because that then gave St. Louis the, the Western title. Because we were like, oh, they'll, they can clinch at BC Place on Wednesday. They've now clinched. So do they rest players? Do they bring a full-strength squad? I mean... That's... Yeah, that's, I, that, that's, that's a great a, question too. That's a massive twist now to, to it. And I, I've looked at some of the other teams round about as well. Now, I, I, one win in these last three games, and I, I think that's 100% the Whitecaps are, are in. They want to be top seven. You do not want to be in this play-in game. No. That is the worst possible game to, to get into. What If you're in top seven... The way that this year's played out, every single team is capable of beating any other team. And in a best of three series, where draws go to penalties, very much in the lap of the gods as to what happens. But I mentioned mm. Minnesota. Like, if they won out, they'll be in 47 points, but tough games. Kansas City's two games that they've got left, it's it's tough because they've got that game against Minnesota, as I mentioned, which could end one or potentially even both the teams' um, sort of seasons, depending on how things go. But the other game that Kansas City have is they are away this weekend to RSL, mm. and the form that RSL is in, you think, well, they're gonna they're gonna get the business done there. The team that could still be a surprise package is LA Galaxy because they've got four games left to play. They're away to Seattle. They're away to Minnesota. They're at home to Salt Lake. They're at home to Dallas. So if they won out, all these other teams are still dropping points as well. So I, I, I think it's not total doom and gloom for the Caps right now. They just have to get top seven. If they're eighth or ninth, I, I just don't fancy their chances at all. Yeah, and I think if they get one win, whether it be a shock win in Seattle, whether maybe because St. Louis are resting players and they're sort of already taken to we're on the beach mentality uh, until the playoffs, um, maybe we'll get a win against St. Louis or maybe it's that decision day against LAFC, which I actually think it will come down to that. I think it, I think it could, but we're, we've got a good record against LAFC here. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, outside of the Champions League, uh, it's a it's a pretty good. Uh, yeah, I, I ignore that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I've I actually blocked it's, it's... that from my memory. I forgot how horrendous that was. Thanks for bringing that back to me. Yeah, I just that Buanga long shot goal still oh, lives rent free in my head. Um, but yeah, I think it, you know because not only is that the decision day, but that's after international break. That's after like I think it's two weeks, two weeks off. That is the rejuvenation yeah. period that the Whitecaps need to be fully ready. Because I think against LAFC, if they can win that game, I think then we'll probably finish sixth or maybe fifth, depending on the other positions and and depending on how the earlier games go. But that will be, for me, the biggest testament to the Whitecaps. Be like, you've had your rest. Sure, international duty, a few players will be going to play internationally, but it's not going to be as, you know, as uh, sort of taxing as this away run was for them. Now you have some rest. How well can you play when it really, really matters? And I think the LAFC, I'm going to, I'm literally think of it as sort of a play in game because that will not, that will determine where we're going to finish in the playoff spots before the playoffs actually start. So I think that's a huge game for us. Obviously, decision day uh, game always are. But I think especially this season, in the situation we're in, that will be massive to where we finish in the playoffs and a big part into the fate of how well we do in playoffs come uh, come late October. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if they find form and they storm through these three games, they'll be top four, could still be second. I mean, just the, the way that how tight everything is, who knows? The the weekend's results, as I say, they all went in the Whitecaps' favour, so a few more sort of match days like that would be good. Just quickly turning mm-hmm. our attention to the East, I just have to give huge congratulations to Cincinnati. Already had wrapped up the Eastern Conference, now Supporters' Shield winners. And what a, what a season they've had. It just shows you how much you can turn things around. And it also shows you how if you're dominant at home, because they've got a 13-1-1 record at home, that sets you up so nicely. But then I also look at the Whitecaps game against them where they went toe-to-toe with them and probably could have won that. So it just shows you that not it's it's just it's a weird it's a weird league this year. Yeah. And you know, I don't know maybe if many people outside of Cincinnati or many people outside of the Western, uh, the Eastern Conference were expecting, you know, Lucho Acosta to have the season that he's been having because mm. uh, he has been incredible for them in terms of, you know, goals and assists. I think in all competitions, he has 15 goals and 10 assists. You know, that's it's similar to what Ryan Gold's doing for us, uh, just in, in, in for Cincinnati. So the fact that they have him playing to the, the potential that he has been playing while still having, you know, players like Brandon Vasquez and uh, uh, Barrell also has had a few assists chipping in as well. Shows that, you know, Cincinnati are not a team to be played with. And, you know, everyone thought that Philadelphia Union were going to be able to do what they did last season again this season. But Cincinnati have really taken the Eastern Conference uh, by the scruff of the neck and said this is ours and all credit to them to win supporter shield because i don't think there's another team that deserves it more this season yeah last two mls things is what to chat to you about one 
Did you see the announcement of the top 25 selling MLS jerseys this year? Yes, I did. I mean, I was stunned Leno Messi was number one. <laughs> i tell you what yeah, I was, was stunned that was about. Stunning part. Tim Parker has the 14th best-selling jersey in MLS. Tim Parker. Tim Parker. Timmy Parker, yep. That, that one was, was crazy. a stunner. The fact that, you know, obviously it's the first year of St. Louis, so of course a lot of fans yeah. are going to want to buy jerseys. There's a bit of but a... Tim Parker. <laughs> but the fact that it was Tim Parker there as third? I, I mean, Jake, Jake Narwinski didn't make the top 25, so Har clearly didn't buy as many jerseys as I thought she would. No, she didn't convince as, uh, as many people as she no. would have wanted to, to buy his jersey. <laughs> but it was an interesting top 25... No Canadian players on it. That maybe isn't that interesting. No Canadian teams players. So mm-hmm. the Insigne love, either everyone bought his jerseys early or that love has died. And did you see him getting into the altercation yep. with the fan? Yeah. He started I, yelling at that fan yeah. and they I had to pull him loves, away. Yeah, I think that love's well over. <laughs> yeah. Whether Herdman he... can, can change things, I don't know. But if yeah. I was him, I would get rid of him i think at this point i think he's become too volatile yeah it's it's a distraction with the fans yeah when when you've got that and money as well and not performing so i mean yeah yeah i think if he does leave he'll have a serious case of being one of the biggest mls flops mls has ever seen because he was supposed to come and turn around this toronto seaside and i remember last season the whole reason why everyone was okay with them being so poor in the first half of the season. It's like, wait until the Italians come. And then the Italians came, and it got a little bit better, and then it really hasn't lived up to all the expectations. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Toronto FC bounce back from this, and if Herdman has full... Because oh, the only way I can see this going well for Herdman is if he has full reins, if basically everyone says, here, you take the keys, you help us out, you figure this out. Because if not, then what's the point of bringing him? Well, I I don't think he would have gone there unless he had been made that that deal. Yeah, I mean, there's no way. I'm curious to see if he if he decides to have a fresh slate and bends off the Italians and and maybe uh, some of the veteran players and said, let's start again, let's start Mm. anew and bring some new players in with a different identity, with a different philosophy than we've seen, and stop trying to do what you know they did trying to replicate what Greg Vanny did with the team in 2017 and let's try to find a new identity and and try to play better. I'll, I'll be, you know, very curious to see if Herdman can pull that off. Mentioned the messy effect with the jerseys. And I mean, I, I love that pink Miami jersey anyway, whether it had Messi's name on the back or not. If I was looking around MLS and it's like, okay, you can pick three jerseys from across MLS, I'd probably would pre Messi mm. have picked that one anyway. I, I really like that. I, I think a pink jersey is quite unique as well in the game and really stands out. And I like how it's like pink v purple for the, the Florida Derby as well. It's just, it adds something to it. But what Messi also adds to is demand for tickets. And as a result, ticket prices can go up. Did you see the season ticket renewal prices for Inter Miami for next year? I did, and I have very strong feelings about yes, it. Yes, because... well, that's good. So do I. So shoot away because, for well, actually, for anyone that hasn't seen it, prices have more than quadrupled. The cheapest season ticket is 867 US dollars 
which is more expensive than 90% of the cheapest season tickets for English Premier League teams. So That's you've what had, I saw. You've had fans that have supported this team from the beginning. And, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of fans that are maybe in supporters section are, are young, young fans. They haven't got a lot of disposable income. Who does have a lot of disposable income with the cost of living these days? So to quadruple that is disgusting. It's freezing out long-term supporters. And they don't care because they know that the demand will be there for tickets. But then what happens when Messi goes? How can you can't the keep thing. the tickets that high? That's the thing for me that it was for me it was so ridiculous. Like obviously on the first half, no one, no middle class or even upper middle class uh, fan, family even can afford those even the cheapest ones. I don't think they could afford those season tickets. So yeah, if really you're a family you're, of four, how do you justify that? Exactly. It's like you're spending what four grand? How are you gonna do for the cheapest season tickets? You're not even in the best spots. It's ridiculous. But on this from a like even more just a business point of view, it is such a grubby, you know, kind of cash grab cash grab now rather than a well established plan. Like this is this is for Inter Miami like a platform. No other team in the MLS since LA Galaxy with David Beckham in 2007 has had a platform this big to elevate them to a new level. And you want to build from that. You want to be smart in how you build off that platform that you have been given by having Lionel Messi at your club. This is not the way to do it because, like you said, what's going to happen once Messi leaves in a year or two? How are you going to justify keeping at the level? And then if you say, okay, Messi's left and you drop back down, what does that say to your to your fans? Mm-hmm. Hey, do, do you keep those folk that bought the season tickets just for Messi? Or do you lose thousands of fans that you somehow have to get back? And the ones that you're trying to get back are the ones that you've just pissed off because you priced them out of the market. And there is another team in Miami. There's a USL team in Miami. Miami FC. Oh, Miami FC, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's 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 the thing. It's like they're gonna come to a point where where they're gonna have little fans because all of the Messi crew that was able to afford it is Messi's gone. We're leaving, and all of the uh, the non-Messi crew that couldn't afford it is saying, "Well, why should we even try to trust in you again?" Mm-hmm. After, like you said, we you literally press us out. You said the worth of Messi and the profit we can gain is more important than building a club culture. Is more important than having that, you know, cultivating that fan culture into a team that now, like I said, has the best platform to just erupt into the world scene, not just in the US, in the world scene. Because what was incredible for me is I was in Greece, I was in islands like, you know, Mykonos, Santorini, and sure, there's a bunch of American uh, tourists there, but I saw tourists that were not from the US that were from the Middle East, that were from the Eastern Europe, that were from Africa, that had inter-Miami jerseys with Messi on the back. Little shops were selling the, the, the classic ones that are like those Chinese jerseys that the, the, the kind of like yeah. the, the letters falls off and everything after a few washes. They were selling Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United, inter-Miami. So they have now gone global because of Lionel Messi. I, I know this it's... is 
the worst way to be dealing with that with now with the season ticket holders because those people in Greece and those people all over Europe, they're going to be paying attention and they'll give you money with those jerseys that they buy legally um, for for Messi and everything. But when Messi leaves, they're not going to care about Inter Miami no. anymore. And, and now they're gone. Who do you replace your local with? fans are pissed off. It, like There's no exactly. one... Like, I, I, as good as Mbappe is or, I, I don't know... Jude Bellingham could be the next young guy that really makes it Erling Haaland huge yeah it's like none of them compare to Messi to mm. justify those prices and this is the thing even Barcelona is is struggling as in letting Messi go and like what is their identity after mm-hmm. Messi uh, you know we're seeing with PSG you know the Messi Mbappe Neymar experiment failed how do you recover from that and those are mega teams with mm-hmm. mega budgets and history. And then you have Inter Miami. And, and it's just like the lack of forethought and the lack of compassion for your local fans makes it such a despicable thing. And I'm surprised that David Beckham hasn't said anything about it. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that there's something that we don't know that fans from day one are getting it cheaper it just hasn't come out yet, or if they're like, oh no, this was just meant for, uh, it wasn't meant for renewals. I mean, none of this thing's been said, but I'm hoping the backlash is going to make them change their mind. But they know they're going to sell tickets. But the the other thing to say in that is, like, Messi's injured just now. What happens if he gets injured next year? What if it's a really bad injury, and he's out for half the season or more? You've just pissed away all that money to watch still some good players, albeit, but... That's not why you've paid that money. You've paid that money because you want to watch Messi. Yeah, you, as much as they are good players, you didn't go to see Kermashi or, or Campano. To pay, you didn't pay a grand to go see them. And sure, if Busquets and Albo around, that's still a little bit worthwhile. But yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, there's so much that could go wrong with it. There's so much that will go wrong with it if they go through with it, that it would be incredulous for them to stick to their guns yeah. and to stand firm with this decision it would just be yeah it would it would be uh from a club's standpoint from a long-term standpoint it would forfeit so much potential that they have now with the platform that they have it's just everything that is wrong with modern football yep. like money is the god money's the king and the fans are just second place but Anyway, let us know your thoughts on it. I'm sure you've got a few. Uh, That is it for the Whitecats chat. That is it for the MLS chat. We will be back with our feature interview for this episode and talking CPL after that. We'll be back with all of that after this. How's it going, guys? I'm Ben Fisk. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, another song from our Artist of the Month for September, as I explained in the last part. Fantastic track there, the last track on Fontaine's DC's last and latest album, Skinty Fear, which was released in 2022. Tremendous song. Check out the whole album, it's my favourite of their three albums and that's definitely one of the standout tracks on it. We've got one more song to come, not from Fontaine's DC, but from lead singer Graham Chatton. That one will kick off part four. In these two final parts of the show though, we're going to turn our attention to the Canadian Premier League. We'll round up the weekend's action as the battle for the postseason and positioning goes right down to the wire but before that it's time to bring you this episode's feature interview and it's with friend of the show cavalry fc head coach tommy bielden jr delighted for tommy and cavalry and everyone connected with the club that they clinched that regular season title last weekend Winning the regular season, of course, this year in the CPL has also meant, as we touched upon in last week's show, that they have booked their berth in the 2024 CONCACAF Champions Cup. Yes, the Champions Cup is coming to Calgary in snowy February. Will they be able to to cope with it? How will it be if a Mexican team goes there? Maybe even into Miami and Little Messi might end up in Calgary in February. Whoever ends up there, it's going to be a fantastic occasion. Fantastic achievement for Tommy and the squad to land that regular season title. I know how much winning the two split championships over the regular season in 2019 meant to Tommy, and also how much it rankled him that they didn't really fully get rewarded for that. Folk are always talking about he's never landed silverware for the club, but he has achieved so much. He's won those two spring and fall championships. He knocked off the Whitecaps in the Canadian Championship, and he's just done so well at the helm. But the pressure was most definitely on him this season to deliver. I think folk felt he's maybe underachieved the last two years in the CPL. Well, he's more than made up for that this year. Fantastic season that Cavalry had. Got a chance to sit down with Tommy this week. I think it was on Tuesday. Just to chat about winning the regular season title, booking that spot in the Champions Cup, and a lot more besides. So go stick the kettle on, grab your biscuit of choice, Sit back and enjoy our feature interview this episode. Here's Cavalry FC head coach, Tommy Wilden Jr. So, delighted to to have you back on the show, Tommy, and I'm sure it's been a a very fun weekend for you. Yeah, it has, and it's nice to reconnect with you too, Michael. I mean, uh, you were there from the early Foothills days to being in the press conference when we beat Whitecaps at BC Place to 
now being able to celebrate these this next chapter of our journey. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's been more of a surreal weekend. I'll tell you the reason why is, one, we've won it with two games still left to go and haven't yet lifted the trophy, so that we can look forward to that. Um, the second thing was just seeing our crest in the company of mm. others when the CONCACAF Champions Cup welcomed us to that tournament. That, for a club that's only five years old, that's remarkable. I said to you before we recorded congratulations, so I'll get it officially in the thing. So big congratulations to you. Regular season champions, the first winners of the, the CPL Shield that you'll mm-hmm. officially now get to to lift, I'm assuming, at, at home. And as you say, a, a place in the, the Champions Cup. We'll get into what it means to the club, but for mm-hmm. you personally, the journey you've been on, like you and your family... Calgary soccer, it's just all so intertwined. What does this moment mean for you personally? Yeah, it's, um, I think I said before, surreal, but it's um, a sense of pride because for, for, for me, is is uh, I wouldn't ever say um, this, that, or the other. What I do know about myself is I'm a builder. I know how to build clubs, teams, communities, culture. And I think if you can have those foundations, you bring good people with you. You know, I'm thankful to have been on this journey through the foothills days with Leon Hapgood's now is my right-hand man here at Cavalry to to my brother Jay to now Nick Ledger coming on the journey to you know Mason Trafford's now working in the front office my family have been there since day one they've come away with me to Victoria Highlanders away to you know when we've won the PDL championship down in Reading in Pennsylvania um, to now be able to share these moments and listen actually funny story when we were in Halifax just recently, the previous owner of the Calgary Storm, Mike Van Dale, that brought myself and my dad over, now lives there. And he took me out for lunch before we played the Halifax game and then came to that game. Um, so just there's been a lot of people along the way. And I think to be able to now put our, get some silverware behind the, the already fantastic things this club has done, I think is very, very satisfying and actually gives us that appetite to want to go and win more. Did you get a chance to actually watch the the Forest Pacific game live, or were you guys on a plane by that point? We were actually. That was a really interesting story. So we'd actually, because of all the travelling miles we've done, we've all got these WestJet points to get us into the lounges. So uh, oh. we we watched the first half, you know, together as a group. Then we got on the plane and we couldn't get the app going. It was our uh, video analyst Daniel Hutchins that got the Wi-Fi. Then went through the website and got us on there. So we literally were able to watch the game. So we had one at the front where the coaches were and one at the back. And when I say in the front, I don't mean first class. We literally <laughs> boarded the exit rows. There's always a race to get the seats. Um, we don't we, we don't fly premium, that's for sure. We, we, we're, uh, we're a humble group. But we, uh, we had one at the front, one at the back. We actually had to tell the WestJet um, flight attendants, listen, you know, you're one of our sponsors, blah, blah, blah. We're a professional soccer team. We actually could win the league here and qualify for CONCACAF Champions League. So if you hear a bunch of roaring, it's not a bunch of guys on a stag do or a celebratory <laughs> weekend. We're actually a professional group. Um, so if you want to let your, your your other customers know and just hopefully we'll keep it down. And, and they were good as gold. They made an announcement um, and people cheered as well. So, yeah, I think the footage has gone out on social media. So it was a really cool moment. Oh, I haven't seen that. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Uh, was it weird, like the rivalry that you've had with Forge from the very start? You're sitting there wanting Forge to win a game so that you can be crowned champions. 
It's brilliant, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's great because I think they've done terrific. They've they, they've been a club that we've gone neck and neck with, and they've had better playoff success success than us. We've had better season success than them. Um, so to be in a situation where they're playing Pacific or another fantastic club um, at home, we're like, well. People are saying that you know Pacific on here, but they're forgetting how good Forge are. I know mm. they haven't had a great home record this year, but Forge are the best away team right now in terms of points. So they're no mugs. They they know how to win, and they also know the importance of finishing in the top two because one, you get two bites of the cherry to get to the final, which is what you want. And second, if it's the winner, say it's us that go on and win, and they finish second, they come with us to Concacaf. So mm-hmm. what a unique situation. That could be, you know, if it played out that way as well. Yeah, we said in our show, or I said in the show a few weeks back, Zach was slightly different viewpoint, but I, I tipped you guys a few months back now that you'd win mm. the regular season because I just mm. felt, I knew what it meant to you. I knew how much 2019 rankled and you would have this mm. group so ready to do it. And I kind of, although it'd be nice if you also won both, selfishly i'd quite like pacific to get in so we've got champions mm-hmm. cup mm-hmm. on the island and vancouver and calgary and hopefully getting to all the west three. yeah i mean it, it would just be tremendous to, to have that spot though in the champions cup what what is it going to mean to the club what's it going to mean to the city and logistically what's it going to mean to try and get a game on in snowy calgary and in, mm. in february yeah, a lot of unanswered questions. Our president, Ian Allison, said that uh, CONCACAF will be paying us a visit in one of these next few games that we've got here, whether it's playoffs or whether it's the last couple of season games. Just to look at our facilities and that, um, we've got a terrific grounds crew and uh, you've seen the pitch on, on on the TV. It's well taken care of. And there's actually some really cool things that can you know, almost thermally, thermally insulate the pitch so that you pull the tarp off and it's ready to go. So there's things that we've, we're starting to now we've had it in the back burner. It's like anything you've got to have plan A, B's and C's to activate. And what I'm fortunate with our ownership group and and Spruce Meadows is, is they host world-class facilities, right? So they can adapt to the conditions. Um, I think beyond that, what it means to get into CONCACAF, Michael is, so when I sat down in 2017 um, with Linda Hethcott Southern, and sorry, Linda Southern Ethcott and Ian Allison, why the Southern family bought into professional football in this country was the same reasons they did with Equestrian, was to give Canadians a chance to play with the best. Nobody was going to the Olympics in Equestrian. There wasn't many shows other than in Europe. So they built one their own, and now it's a world-class facility. The best riders, Olympians in the world come here. Now we're in a situation that we've sampled a little bit of Can Champ. We've sent players onto Europe, you know, by sales, or they're now representing, like your Joel Waterman, Satours, and the Tories, now representing Canada. Now we're taking this group of young Canadians and Canadian coaches to Concacaf to compete against the best in our region. So our ownership—that's the concept they bought into, and that's what we're now able to deliver upon. Spruce Meadows is a venue. I've only had the one trip there, but mm. I, I loved it. I thought it was a great mm. venue. The, so close to the pitch. It's just got so much character about it. Now, obviously, you don't know who you're going to get, but like, do you have to kind of pinch yourself? To, I, I know you don't want to think too far ahead, but you could have a Mexican giant coming to play. 
we, we had this chat yesterday, Michael. Like it's 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 fantasy football, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're playing, and and we're living it. We're living proof. That I had a couple of text messages with Will Cromack because um you know when he went on his can champ thing, we go back a bit, right? Yeah. So to compete again in the PDL, to see him have success in the can champ, and to get the accolades, I really like that because it's the it's the growth of the game. And that's why you know, when I see Forge and Bobby Sminiotis, I know he's done the hard yards with Sigma and Forge. I, I respect that. You know, I'll compete. I love to compete against him because he's he's a great coach, a great team. Same with James Merriman. He's done the hard yards with the Whitecaps Academy and building it. I respect that. That's what this league's about is giving Canadian ch- coach a chance. So when we're talking away, like Ledge said, you know, we, we said, where, where would you like to go? And Ledge went Azteca. He didn't even pause for breath. He said the Azteca. So that's either your Cruzor or Club America. And he's played there for the national team. And we're like, imagine that, like to take a, a bunch yeah. of lads that were playing University of Calgary or, you know, Calgary Foothills or, you know, whomever club they've come from to then go and play in that kind of environment. That's that's what we're about. I'm sure it would make your recruitment a lot easier as well. You've got a draw like that. It's like there's a big selling point for, for next year as well. Well, our head of recruitment, Oliver Minotau, is, is dancing like Morecambe and Wise right now, thinking he's got <laughs> an easy job to sell because you do. You have, um, you know, success breeds success. So yeah. who who wouldn't want to come on that next journey? Because we know that there's got to come decisions at the end of the season. We know that there's a few things where we'd like to improve on in certain areas because you, you've got to now go and compete to win the regular season again. You've got to compete in the can champ possibly up against MLS sides and what does that mean? What type of player profile do you need? And then we've also got to compete now in the CONCACAF Champions Cup. That's terrific. It's almost like now we're in, we are, we're in four competitions if you include the North Shield trophy at the end Mm -hmm. of it. So we've got to have depth, we've got to have versatility and I always tried to build my sides that way anyway. And you've seen in the early years with Foothills, there was always a a dynamism and a depth to them. Yeah, I, I mean, I still have so many fond memories of the Foothills TSS battles. Like, talking about, well, f- for the campaign this year, I was acting as their media officer, and I so Brilliant. wanted you to beat Pacific. Oh, and I thought, me too. What, what, story what a that matchup. Been. Yeah, what a yeah. story that would have been. But it wasn't to be. But let, let's talk about the, this season in the CPL. So, I mean, you've won it two games to spare, as you mentioned, and it's been a very solid performance by the team you're the highest scorers you've got the the best goals against averaging just one goal against a game when you look at the whole season what's your your thoughts on it up to now yeah up to now it's um it's evolved and we had to because in pre-season we actually self-reflected after last season even though we we always felt it was a bogus call in the semi-final with the red cards. David, you know, we're like, it was so unfair that that had happened to us yet again. It's mm. it's not been that I think we've been poor in the playoffs. We've not been on the right end of that bounce, that bit of luck that you need in not one single knockout games. But then we reflected when actually we weren't as good as we'd like to have been in certain areas. If we're going to be the best team in the league, now there's a new competition. Now finishing first place is arguably more important. What do we need? We need to be a bit more tactically versatile. We need to be a bit braver with the ball. We need intelligence as well as uh, competitive edge. So in our recruitment, we we did a lot of that. We signed a lot of smart players like Yashamit Sholmes, like Eric Cobzer that was fresh out of university. We took a chance on a couple um, and, and bringing William Keel back for a push, bringing Brad Camden, who was actually in our first ever PDL side in 2015. His experience, his local, there's a lot of local lads that we've given. Goate Tigney an opportunity. 
so so we worked a lot we also divided and, and shared the energy and you know we've got a fantastic um, recruitment team we've got a fantastic analyst team we've got a great sports science team and then on the pitch you know you've known Leon Hapgood as well he now takes care of a lot of our attacking stuff and Nick Ledgewood takes care of a lot of our defensive stuff my brother worked with the under 21 group that was sending the players up. So there was a, a you know, when we brought in a Tom Field or, or Michael Harms again, they knew the system. So it was an easier integration. And it was just a lot of little things, Michael. So we've, we've played with building out in a back three, defending a back four. We've defended in a back five away from home. Like we've, we've gone into these variations that now the team we're playing against doesn't know how we'll play. They just know that they're going to have a tough game. I mean, your your recruitment, you you lost some big pieces, but mm. I mean, I want to talk a little bit about Meyer Bevan. We spoke mm-hmm. last year when you signed him. I I was a big fan of him here at WFC too. I think he could have pushed on here, and he's been excellent for you. Zach's always going on about that he dives a lot to win penalties, but I don't mind that if it's if there's a little nudge and you go down, fine. Unless it's Josh Heard in the Canadian Championship, that's a, <laughs> that's a different story, but. I think Meyer's just been absolutely outstanding this year for you. Yes, um, I challenge Zach. I can't think off the top of my head whether he's won a penalty for us this year, but yeah, I don't know. I can't think off the top of my head. But um, what he does is he brings that Kiwi fighting spirit. Um, you know, he's got the Canadian passport, and hence why he's been able to come over here. But I remember playing against him. Um, I think with the Whitecap second team, we had a friendly there with the old Foothills group. And I just remember his energy. Mm-hmm. And for me, energy is infectious. And last year, he was kind of littered with a little bit, the, the higher level coming from me because he'd had a couple of years back in New Zealand. Um, and the adaptation to traveling higher tempo games and the way we play, we play very much on the front foot. We knew he would suit us. So last year, we had a sample of it and his goals per game was good. This year, he's been a figure piece. And, you know, Captain likes your Joe Masons and even an Ethan Beckford that was new to Gareth Smith-Doyle. We have an abundance of attackers and he's kept them out of the team because he's been so important to both sides of the ball. And, you know, how Firmino was for Liverpool, Salah and Mane often got a lot of the glory, but Firmino kind of was the... He's been the same. Ali Moussi gets a bit of glory and mm-hmm. Sergio Camargo's Willie Aquino's. But Maya does a lot of the work, the running, the shoulder runs, the checks, the receiving. And he has finished a fair bunch, but he does so much work for the team. It's uh, it's great that he's getting a bit of recognition too. I, what I talk about, like adding Willie sort of mid-season for you, I, I was hoping he was going to stick in Scotland because mm-hmm. I thought he mm-hmm. was doing, had good prospects at Ross County. But it's nice. I know it's the first time you've had him at Cavalry, but it does feel like he's come home. Mm-hmm. And with that time in the foothills and now with you here, he has just been, I think, the guy that's really helped push you on now to, to win mm-hmm. this. Yeah, yes. And do you know what? I uh, I screwed up by not taking him out of university because mm. when we first took the group that won the national championship in 2018, he was a key part of that. You know, we didn't have Moses Danto, who was a, a big figure for us down in the States because he couldn't travel. Um, Willie Akio took that helm and we're like, this... You know, he's always been a good local lad, but then we saw another level. And yeah, he had to finish off his university. And Rob Gale snuck in there, great, got a deal done, but we didn't need him at that time. Yeah. But then he made a big impact, and we're like, great. And it was only through the sales. He was coming to the end of his contract, I think, with Valor, but it was through the sale of Victor Latore that I'd mentioned, you know, about um, the potential because he was a good player in our league. That you know, I, I still 
respected him and I spoke to head of recruitment. I said, if I was you, I'd look at his brother as well because he's got what you need in Scotland. He's got pace, he's direct, he can score goals and his back plays, he can create with a crowd. And I think he had a really good start, bad injury, and then couldn't get himself going. And I think it was yeah. just one of them that club football moves on very quickly in Scotland. And um, I think it was just a case of new manager and new, new, new ideas and he just didn't fit them. Last player I want to just ask you about, and it's unfair maybe just to single out a few players, but we've only got a limited amount of time. But Dan Klomp again this year mm. has been outstanding for you. I feel he probably won't get the nod, but I feel he's right up there for MVP. It yeah. used to go to an attacking guy. It's kind of biased voting that way, but he, I just think he's been excellent this year. He, he might change the conversation. Um, and the reason being, we've been successful with him. He's, he's added key goals. And if we keep having the lowest goals against, he's now a part of the best defence record in the league. And I, he knows what he's playing for. He's played every single minute for us, Mike. And he's um, what we've done is we probably didn't do him justice because he was a ball player. Like when, when we recruited him, he played in a back, right of a back three. So when he made his debut against Ajax in the Eredivisie, I think he was 17, 18 at the time, he played right of a back three. Um, and then when we we looked at his other games, he, he often played there and sometimes played at right back. So we thought, okay, well, we can put him in there. Uh, sometimes we played him at centre back and he used to be a holding mid. So he always wants to get on the ball. And as we evolved, I tell you, it was a conversation that I'd had with my dad about Swindon back in the early 90s when Glenn Hoddle was the player manager. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. And when they got them promoted to the Premier League and beat Leicester in the final, they played a back three and he was middle and he had uh, Sean Taylor on one side and uh, I forget who's on the right-hand side, uh, uh, Colin Calderwood. Oh. So he used to step in and, and another Scotsman, Ross McLaren, Ooh. would drop in. So when I was talking to my dad about these things, he was the best ball player. And I said, actually, well, I think we can play in a back four. But then when we build, we need Clompy in the middle as our, you know, our, our Ronald Coombe and our friends Beckenbauer, our ball player that Marco can play off of. And Charlie Trafford is a defensive minded, but good with the ball, can just switch with him and get a rest in position while Dan goes, because then who tracks him? And uh, what's been good is it's evolved naturally, but it came through that conversation with my dad about reflecting about past tactics that Glenn Hoddle used to do in the early 90s. Interesting. Going into this season, is it fair to say the pressure was on you a little bit? Maybe not from within the club, mm. but from outside eyes. It's like, oh, it's five years and Tommy hasn't got any silverware mm. in the trophy cabinet. At the end of last year, there were discussions. Oh, is it time for, for Tommy to move mm -hmm. on and new blood to come in? D did you feel that pressure? I know I started them rumours. <laughs> uh, it's part of football, right? They're paying fans and they can sit and actually thank them because I like the pressure. I like do, I prefer to do things that people don't expect you to do than be, say, oh, they're guaranteed to go and do this. And I'd never lived it easy. I was never the most talented or technical footballer, but was able to have a few years in the pro game as a player. You know, same with the coach. I've built and built and built, and I know what it means to do that. So people that come to a game, they don't know the hard yards we've been behind. They don't know the work that goes in behind the scenes and the people are at it, and they don't see the players and how hard they're working. I do. So when times like that, when I'm questioned, it makes me better. It makes the team around me tighter because they want to protect me because they know how loyal I've been to them, and, and it makes the players that much better when they're questioned. So... 
they're right to question it. They're supporters. I'm an Everton fan. I'll always question that. So I didn't take it personal, um, but I did take it as a motivator to to keep going because love to prove people wrong, and that's exactly yeah. what we're going to continue to do. I mean, you've been a big proponent of the regular season champion is the the real winner of, of the league. You've said that from the very start and not just mm. because you won it in 2019. So to have that reward now, but not just that, to have a path now in the playoffs that rewards that even more, mm. it's about time that the league has done this. But I mean, what, what have you made of these changes? What, what do you make of the new playoff format? Do you like it? Yeah, do you know what? A credit to Commissioner. I know uh, him and I know Christian Jacks had a big influence as well on how things uh, played out or suggestions. And uh, the Commissioner has come from an MLS environment where, you know, there's the supporter shield, but he also sees a lot in Europe. He's been worked in Africa and says, why why would we take something? If we got two spots, why wouldn't we take what should be hard? And, and fans that pay their hard-earned money should see a cup final every week. Mm-hmm. If you're going to play 28 games, 14 on the road, 14 at home, Every game should matter. And to double down on that first and second place is terrific because like the rest of the world, you know, Man City, when they won the league and got the guard of honour in their last game done, lifted it, they're celebrating. That's the first one, Bosch done. Now they're after the Champions League. It didn't stop them from wanting to go win the Champions League. It's the same for us now in playoffs. We look forward to touching that trophy, to seeing our names engraved on it. And if it's true, the rumours that will also be backdated. Now suddenly we've changed narratives. So the future mm-hmm. will see the success of the 2019 group that started it all. And now the success here, the football club should be lifted that. We've got the best winning record ever. But yeah. because there was only ever one trophy, it was always rewarded on a playoff system that changed four times. It was always a bit of a roll of the dice and fair play to Bobby and Forge. They knew and found a way to win it. Big players, big moments, great. Now... We get two bites of the cherry. What if we won it this year? Being the first to win it at mm-hmm. home. Nobody's won it at home. No first place team has ever won it. Right? Even when Forge finished first in 2021, they lost to Pacific in the final. We finished third, didn't they? If I remember rightly. Possibly. They finished behind us. Yeah. They finished behind us. Yeah. And we're champions. So the narrative of football can change through North America. The, I love both because one is for the purists, the league. Two is for the fans and the excitement. There's a Cinderella story, the wild card weekend. You know, I'm going to be fixated on watching how Ottawa and York play. Yeah, as intentions. But then the the I think the the playoff format it's going to be great for the fans. And what if we win it now? Suddenly, mm-hmm. after this year, people talk about us in a different way. We've changed the narrative. Yeah, I mean, I I'd really like the format. The only thing I'm not a big fan of, and there's no way around it, is. If you win the first v second game, you've got that two week break that mm-hmm. isn't always ideal. Sometimes no. it's better to to keep going. And I know they've made some changes in college and Canada West with stuff and things as well, mm-hmm. which makes things complicated. I, I won't keep you for too much longer. Just last couple of things. The the state of the league just now. Mm-hmm. There's all these rumours swirling about financially for York for mm-hmm. Valor. Um, there's all the hubbub about the CSB deal and can the league survive if that was changed? Are you comfortable that the league is in a, a good financial state for moving forward? Because I, I worry about it, especially mm-hmm. if the CSB deal gets pulled, that the financial stability is there for some clubs. I am. Listen, a lot of that is above my pay grade that our president handles a lot, to be fair. But from what I witness is there's really good ownership. I mean, you look at the strength of 
our club. You look at the strength of Pacific. Now, similar ownership group bought in Vancouver, you know that's going to grow. You, know, you look at Atletico Madrid buying Atletico Ottawa. That's a, that's a statement. You look at Forge. You look at Halifax growth. There's a lot of strength and it's probably, and you probably remember some of this early in the MLS, is they had the same sort of owners mm-hmm. and they had the strong. So the strong kept the others afloat because they're investing in the greater good. It was, an, it was a few families that owned several clubs. And then beyond that, then they whittled out those that didn't have the debt and then new ownership groups. So when you're getting your David Beckhams and people like that or Atalanta United coming in, you're like, oh, these these are established now. I think we're following a similar path if I was to make a an uneducated guess from what I'm witnessing. What about VAR? What's your thoughts on bringing some kind of VAR into the league? Because... I, I won't get you fined by mm. commenting on this, so I'll make mm. the statement of the refereeing has been atrocious at times this season across the league. But, I mean, is there a push from the managers, from the GMs, to try and get something going? I don't see a problem with having, well, if they call them VAR light, if there's somebody yeah. up in the tower or there's, there's, you know, there's assessors. There's assessors that go every game. I feel for the referee that's the, the person in the middle because um, there are some good ones. There, there are some bad calls, but I refereed my son's. So I got over from from uh, from York on the weekend. My son had a U15 game. Referee didn't show up. I'm there in my tracksuit, and someone comes over. Would you mind refing? So I refed it, and it was brilliant because then I actually got to walk a mile in their shoes. And I thought, actually, this should be something for coaches and players. It should be part Ooh. of coaching because it's not easy. Because I'm watching. I don't know about you. I'm watching a rugby World Cup. Yeah, and they communicate. So fans, oh, it's understand. fantastic. Yeah, the gentlemen, the warriors again. I'm like, we do a terrible job in our sport, and and you know, and I, I'm I'm no saint when it comes to I've criticised referees, and that, and it's not fair, really. And that's the culture we've got to try and change. But having been on the end of bad calls and being on the end of good calls, I'm liking to think they do balance the scales over a period of time. Um. I think what we do need is to have some other voice up there because the setters do come to every game. Why not on a contentious penalty call or a potential set? You can see the one soccer footage, a couple of angles, go bang. Yeah, I think you've got grounds for that wasn't a foul. Or actually, they've taken his legs. I would call that a PK. Why not? You're still mm-hmm. going to have people moan about it. Offside calls are a tough one to do. That's yeah. got to be the, the, the mind's eye. But the key, the red cards, the penalties, yeah. the key ones, I think that's where we could start. Well, the interesting thing, like on Saturday, I was at the the Vancouver game and up in the press box, I was right beside the assessor. So there was a couple of times mm. he we got the screen out and he's like talking to us about why the mm. ref did that or if that was right, if that mm. was wrong. And to have that in your ear during the game, it was amazing because mm. there's a couple yeah. of things we thought the ref had got wrong and then he was explaining, no, it's not and why. And like that helped us tremendously, but... Yeah, yeah, look at back home on, on you know Monday Night Football, you'll have a Dermot Gallagher that will explain the rules. And I think we could do a bit of both there. We could have referees that now start communicating and saying like NFL do, bang, and this cause happened because of this play, done. Fans can boo, fans can that. But now you're actually getting a two-way conversation. If we did that and had someone in the studios, I think we would gain a lot of ground. And I don't think it's massive expense to get to those moments. But again, that's not my call to make. I would just like to see it in the game. I think that could be our our next big evolution. Very last thing. League One Alberta is obviously officially coming on board next year. They had the exhibition series this year. Cavalry's got the team. Foothills has got a team. 
What what's this going to mean to to your club and future development now? Brilliant. Do you know what? And uh, I got to tip my hat to uh, to to my brother Jay Wielden that's been pivotal behind the scenes in getting that because after we came out of the PDL, we, we got into the PDL to create that bridge between youth to university and the pros, right? So it's it's sandwiched in there. Um, we need it because now what we've done and Leon Apgard, our technical director, has now launched this U15, U17 ID program where they stay with their youth clubs but train a couple of times a week with us through the winter. And then the top players on the male side will end up playing for our U21s. It'll be a you know a young team of 16, 17, 18-year-olds to see who our next batch of players coming through. It's an environment where we want to get them prepared to play professional. If not, we send them to U Sports and they can grow again and then be drafted again or get an education and have a fantastic life. So there's a lot of great work. That's what it means to us. It's now given us a bridge in the pathway from youth to pro. And I think, you know, we, we're massive supporters of it. Um, I think Alberta Soccer, of, you know, Lisa Grant and Jason Blake have really pushed the needle there to, to get it through and credit to them. So it's nice to put our name in the conversation because say it is a Foothills that win it again. Guess what? Like TSS Rovers and like Victoria Highlanders now, now they're competing in the Can Champ, which is now our version mm-hmm. of CONCACAF. And all we can keep doing is just building Canadian football in the in the meantime. Tremendous. Thank you so much for your time as always, Tommy. I could talk to you for hours. Are Everton going to stay up this year? Yeah, we're on a winning run now, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> we've got, we've got one, one, one. We've got Luton Town at home. If we don't win that one, then no. If we do win that one, then I think we'll go on a little bit of a run there and be <laughs> tough to beat. Well, good luck for the rest of the season. Maybe see you in the, the North Shield Cup if I can get out, depending on UBC commentary and stuff. But so happy for you. Delighted for everything you've done. Who knows? You might even get into Miami and you've got Messi coming to Spruce Meadows. Can he do it on a cold night at Spruce Meadows? We'll soon find <laughs> out. Thank you so <laughs> much, Tommy. Mate. Always a pleasure. Right. You too. Bye. Cheers, man. Take care. But it's very cold out here in the snow Marching to and from the enemy Oh, I say it's tough I have had enough Can you stop the cavalry? Great stuff, as always, from Tommy there Always enjoy chatting to him Could genuinely chat to him for hours Been so heavily involved Him and his whole family In the Calgary soccer scene Getting that regular season title, getting a chance to compete with CONCACAF's best next year as well. I know how much it's going to mean to him. Job's only half done though. He clearly wants to do the double, wants to lift that North Star Shield. Saw Valor on Friday night at Spruce Meadows, a 2-1 win. Sergio Carmago and Gareth Smith-Doyle scoring to break Valor hearts after Walter Ponce took the lead for Valor in the 24th minute. Another good team performance from Cal- Cavalry. One game left. They take on Pacific next Saturday. Pacific got a lot to play for in that. We'll come to that in the next part. And for Cavalry, that's when they will get to lift their regular season trophy in front of their home fans. Hopefully it's a lot drier than this weekend's match. But it was a fantastic week again of action in the CPL. Philippe and me will chat about all of that and some of the controversial moments as well. We'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Kakuda Mane. You're listening to AFTN Soccer Show. When I made 
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, Grian Chatton, lead singer of Fontaine's DC, our Arts of the Month for September. That's uh, the opening track, actually, from his debut solo album, Chaos for the Fly, released this year. That was The Score, and we all know The Score 2-1. Seems to have been a popular score in CPL this weekend as three of the matches finished with that, that scoreline and another wild weekend of matches as well. Spoke to Tommy Pilsen Jr. in the last part as we we mentioned. Cavalry did the business against Valor 2-1. That was a meaningless match in many ways. Cavalry already won the regular season, going to finish first. Valor, I guess it wasn't meaningless for them, Felipe, because they were still hoping to avoid the wooden spoon, but it's confirmed now. Valor, bottom of the CPL for this year. Were you surprised by that? Yeah, a a bit, especially with, like, they were getting into a little bit of form halfway through the season. But then, I don't know, maybe it was that Rovers game that really messed them up. Mm. Uh, I know they had a lot of injuries. But it really hasn't gone well. And I think a lot of it has to do with Phil Dos Santos. And I feel bad because he's a fantastic coach. He's really committed to the game. Uh, I mean, he missed the game to go finish his coaching license. Yeah. Uh, which shows how much he's, he's committed to improving and to bettering as a coach. He's not a bad coach by any means. But I think that it can happen where you have a good coach and, a good, and some good players. And it just doesn't work and i think that sort of happened where i think phil the santos is sort of losing the reins on this team and also maybe this team isn't what he wanted because valor have always had the issue of how do you attract players to come to winnipeg yep and staying through the winter <laughs> for next yeah season. I, I had that exact discussion with him before the tss game i i said is it difficult to attract him and he's like it is but once they get there and they see the city they like the city but you have to get them there when it's not winter. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's why they went through for a lot of like international players that maybe didn't know that Winnipeg had such yeah. a brutal winter. Like, oh, I'm going to Canada. Yeah, and they're like, oh, okay, cool. And like maybe expecting a little bit of snow, and then they get hit with a negative forty in Winnipeg and and the two feet of snow that they go. Oh, I mean, I couldn't hike that. It's no. I I love the snow. I like the cold weather. I don't like the hot weather. But that is extreme. It's an extreme that I would not want to live in. So, yeah. So, I think, you know, the squad composition maybe hasn't gone too well. I think a lot of the players from Valor haven't stepped up to the plate. Yeah. You know, Pacific, Nyongabire, at the beginning of the season, everyone was oh, like, this is going to be a player. Everyone was raving about a... what he was. Yeah, people are saying he might be a potential player of the season. He might be, like, the newcomer of the season and everything. And he has not lived up to that whatsoever. You have I, I genuinely like... thought they were going to be playoff bound fourth or fifth i thought and it was like the likes of pacifique that i thought oh they that's just what's been needed to push this team forward 
Yeah, and you have also like players like you know like Anthony Novak, who's a great per- person, but hasn't really found his foot in this team either. And you know Walter Ponce putting being played as a striker when he's not really a striker. I see him more as like an inside forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know Siage that barely has done anything this season as well. So striker is a huge issue. The attack is a bit of an issue. You know Keon Williams is a great player. But where what is his best position? I think, and uh, I know Mike Rice thinks too this as well. It's his best position to number ten, and that's where they should play him. But then, like, how do you shuffle the midfield because you want to be able to try to have Polisi, Diego Gutierrez, and Juan Pablo Sanchez in your midfield? So, like, how do you do that? There's a lot of questions and headaches that I think have contributed to you know, why Valor have finished last. And a lot of it is going to fall on Phil Santos's head. And yeah. I don't know how much of it is really his fault. I do think, obviously, he has part to blame. But well, I mean, he's I just GM he's... and head coach. So, I mean, he's he's the guy that's making all the decisions. It's hard to hang on. And you've had the embarrassment of losing to League One side in the Canadian Championship. And then it all went yeah. downhill from that, really. Yeah, this has definitely been a year to forget for Valor, and I think they would have had a little bit of solace for not finishing last, but the fact that they lost against Cavalry and then they were condemned to the last place by Vancouver just yes. has made it super difficult for them. Well, let's talk about that game that consigned them then, because, oh, we'll just say Vancouver won 2 1. So moving on, Zach throws things at them. <laughs> yeah, Vancouver FC, another Derby Day victory. Went over to the island, came away with a 2-1 win over Pacific. First half goals from Gabby Bittar, Vasco Fry, lovely finish from Vasco Fly, mm. Fly Vasco Fry, the ball flew, uh, on loan from WFC2. That's what the Whitecaps will be wanting to see from Vasco, because I've got to say, he hasn't quite lit the heather as a light for me since he mo- made that move, and Sometimes a little bit chip on the shoulder, I feel, when he's playing. Yeah, he plays with some confidence that is great. You want to see that in the player, but also maybe sometimes can can hinder him a bit. You want a player that sort of knows where he's at and sees this as like the level that he's at and doesn't think like, oh, this is just like a little loan move for me. And then I'll go back to WFC2 and, and hopefully going to the Whitecaps. Um, and also, like, I've seen him uh, get angry uh, in that win against Halifax. He's, he was heated. Yes, we were uh, talking about they, that. It's like you need to take him off because he's getting sent off. Exactly. So, so like, you could see that, you know, maybe he is having a little bit of trouble, you know, acclimating to the team. But that goal and his performance overall, I would say, uh, has shown that he's he's starting to gel well and, and maybe in the, with you know when last game of the season, he, if he has another good performance, then then maybe Vancouver will look at you know do we want to keep him around longer? Yeah. And maybe WFC two will be like yeah go for it because I know WFC two are going to want to do a lot of turnover after the end of their yes they their just season collapsed again second second year running. Gabby Batar's on good form as well. I would have given it as a as a did it show and go, but. The last I checked, it still went to Batar. So they were was, two yeah. up at half time. Eastern and Garo pulled one back, 2 1 final. Do you want to talk to you about a man that suddenly became an AFTN hero during that first half? Mikhail Kintav kicking 
Josh Heard. Now, anyone that kicks Josh Heard is okay in my books, but I think if there was VAR in the CPL, that's a red card. Yeah. And Cooper's oh, 10 men, whole different story then. Possible whole different result. Because it was 1-0 at the time. Yeah. And like on one hand, those are the little like the antics that you kind of see in a derby day that get you riled up and be like, yeah, that's a derby day. Uh, but at the same time, it's also like you don't want to see that in the game. Like, no. I don't know if he meant that... to kick him or if he tried to get the ball. Because when you see it from above, it looks like he's trying to kick the ball. But when you see it from the other level, it's from like... the F- yeah. It's nasty. It's yeah. not nice. Um, but yeah, I think you know he was very. It was a lucky boy to get away with that, uh, and that the officials didn't see that. There was a lot this weekend that the officials mm. didn't see. Um, but I think even this, you know, despite that, I think Vancouver had a very, very good performance, especially in that first half. Uh, second half, Pacific came back, but uh, Vancouver did pretty well to hold on. A lot of that hinged on. Callum Irving again having superb performance. He made I think four you know crucial saves, uh, one, a couple Hollywood saves I would say. Um, so to show how important he has been to Vancouver this yeah. season. I mean he's my player of the year for Vancouver. I, for me he's in the and I know it's crazy to say that for a team that's letting so many goals, but he's surely in the reckoning for like goalkeeper of the year. I mean, he'll definitely be in the top three. I don't know that he he wins it. But if anyone's watched Vancouver's game, so have seen that without him, this would have been a way worse season. Oh, yeah. Vancouver. Because yeah. <laughs> there's a number uh, of games Calvary. he's kept them in. And even the yeah, big scoreline games, he's kept the score down, even when they've let in four, five, or six goals. But a lot of hope for next season for Vancouver. It feels like they've turned a corner. Three straight wins since being eliminated. And like you asked Ashin that after the Halifax game, like did it take some some pressure off them? And he didn't really say yes or no, but they they, they have do something with playing freer. They've won four of the last five, and that only defeat was a two one defeat against Cavalry, the champs. Mm. It looks promising. They've got this great core, and if anything, the season's just finishing too soon for them because you just want to see what this team can do now. Yeah, I mean that's something that um, Afshin mentioned is like if this was a thirty-eight game season, as a lot of other uh, leagues in Europe ha- are like, then there might be even a shout for them to be able to clinch maybe that fifth position on their mm-hmm. form that they're at. But yeah, it, it does show the growth that they've had. I think definitely as much maybe they don't want to commit to the to to the idea that they they have they have had pressure be relieved. I think they have had pressure be relieved since going uh becoming eliminated from the playoffs. I mean, looking at the form table, they're the second most informed team behind Cavalry since they got eliminated, uh, which shows how good they can actually be maybe without that pressure yeah. and maybe now focusing on let's just play well as a team rather than let's win games to get into the playoffs. I think maybe that's the shift in mentality that they've had and it's worked really, really well for them. They've shown leaps and bounds of improvement since the beginning of the season. And I think there's now a lot for them to build off of. 
and there's a lot of room for great potential for success where if they make the right acquisitions this offseason they could be right in the mix oh definitely uh, next season for playoffs and potentially even more you never know with the cpl but a lot of that again relies on have they learned from their mistakes in in recruitment from the beginning of the season to now because Hundred percent say they've definitely learned, and it's going to be a very, yeah. very different recruitment. And yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see where that takes them. I was going to have a discussion as well, but I think it's maybe fair to wait till Zach's back because we ha- had a few people reply to my question last week: "Is what would make you come and watch this team? Why aren't you coming to watch this team?" And a few of them are kind of pointing fingers at some of the more supporter side of things. So I'll I, I, probably fairer to wait until Zach's back on the show to have him address that. From a Pacific point of view, they blew the chance to go second. And yeah. as we were talking about before we recording, they now go to face Cavalry in the last game of the season. They could finish fourth and be in a playing game or first round preliminary, whatever you want to call this. But... It's a good team, but for whatever reason, they're just not clicking just now. Yeah, and it's one that I still scratch my head out because when I was talking earlier about Pacific on Coast to Coast, it's it's just they had everything going for them. They had a great coach. They had probably the best squad depth. I still think that they have the best squad depth on paper in the entire league. And they were getting the results at the beginning of the season. They were champions elect in June. Yeah. The f- Whilst their goalkeepers were playing terrible. Exactly. Well, like, they didn't neither know in a bad run of form, but they're not making the same goalkeeping errors. And it's like. Pfft. Yeah. Exactly. And it's coming from maybe the defense, coming from the midfield, the lack of proper attack. Now, I just feel like Pacific are getting more and more predictable. They haven't been able to shift and evolve as the season has gone on. And they're just trying to play the same way that they have since the beginning. And obviously, you know, as a as a team, you want to stick to your to your tactics and think, you know, this will work. We believe in the system. We believe in the philosophy. And that's great. But you also have to be a little bit flexible. You have to be able to adapt to different situations. And I think some of the in-game management choices that James Marabin has done and some of the performances from certain players that I think a lot of people were expecting to step up, not stepping up, the likes mm-hmm. of of Easton Angaro. I know he scored yeah, he's this weekend. Disappointing. But he's been compared to what he was to the Eddies yep. way back when. On a bad team. He's got better players around him. And we were saying back then, oh, he just needs better players around him. Look what he can be. And then he came to WFC too. And he was excellent. But he yep. wasn't guaranteed to get that MLS deal, so he wanted to go back to CPL. Maybe he should have hung around. Developed yeah, because, a bit more. because this has not been the season that he wants and the season that a lot of people were expecting. I know a lot of people were thinking that, you know, Eastern Garo's back, let's put him as a shoe-in for, you know, fighting for uh, goal scorer of the season, top scorer, golden boot of the season. But he's been nowhere near. No. And players like... Another Whitecaps, ex-Whitecaps player, Scooter. Mm. I know in the Discord channels and Reddit uh, comments, a lot of people are 
are banging their heads against the wall because they can't understand why he keeps starting, why he keeps playing. I can't either. Like, I, I was talking to her about this anything. with Hurtado being on DC. So Hurtado, Hurtado and Manny came at the same time. There was always lots of comparisons here in Vancouver between the two. Manny was always the better player. Yet Hurtado is still in MLS and you've got Manny that's now in the CPL and not doing great, but yeah. And the reason Pacific's in a bit of trouble now is they go to Cavalry next week and Halifax, they finally clinched their playoff spot, absolutely delighted for Patrice Skyser. They go to play Valor. So if they beat Valor and Cavalry beat Pacific, all of a sudden Halifax are third. And it's squeaky bum time for a postseason run for Pacific. But Halifax clinched a playoff spot with a 2-1 win over Forge in a very controversial game. Massimo Ferran, 1-0. 12th minute, Halifax. Nice goal. Halifax started strongly. You're like, yes, here they go. Rubens Passius tied it up in the 34th. Then to round off the half, two moments of controversy. Daniel Nimick inexplicably has a goal disallowed. Yeah. I, I, I can't see offside in any shape or form of this. No, I can't at all. I don't know what the assistant referee was thinking. I don't know if he thought that somebody else was dynamic or the ball hit somebody else. Uh, as soon as the first, it wasn't like after a few replays, you're like, oh no, he's probably onside, whatever. It was literally off the first replay. You're like, that's very clearly onside. Yeah. That is very, very clearly onside. The only thing I thought is he's probably not been watching when the ball got kicked because Nimic very quickly gets goal side. So I think he's maybe heard the kick, which is obviously going to not be instant, and then he's put the flag up because he's looked offside at that point. But, mm -hmm. it, I mean, it, it wasn't, and it could have been such a costly mistake. Did it even itself out? Because Halifax then get a penalty, which clearly was not a penalty. No, it was not. I saw it as karmic justice, really. For yeah, Dan I did as well. Especially. I was quite happy. And you as a Forge fan is even saying that. That's the thing. It's where it's like, obviously, you know, it sucks uh, again to have for that to happen against Forge. But the fact that Dan Nimick got such an obvious goal disallowed, having that penalty, yes, it wasn't a penalty at all by any means. But I was like, okay, it sort of balanced itself out to a degree. Um, and the, the penalty, and he scored that penalty in that event essentially was the, the game winning goal mm -hmm. for, for Halifax. So the second half wasn't anywhere really as exciting as, as the first half. That um, was really flat. I was, I was so looking forward to a feisty second half and it just, yeah, I was expecting a lot more. I mean, there was a lot of yellows, but I was expecting a little bit more from, from Forge. Uh, well, I think they I saved know. all their passion for post game. I don't know oh, if you've, yeah. I don't know if you've seen the the post game I've, I've, stuff. I've seen uh, quotes from the post game, and uh, you know it's funny because uh, I, when I was at the Forge game when I was in Ontario, there was also some controversy with the with the refereeing against Halifax. Yes, but it, and uh, and I asked uh, Ashinoidi Johnson about the refereeing. He's like, "Oh no, no, no! We try not to talk about <laughs> the referees because we don't want to get in trouble." And I'm like, oh, okay. And then literally, this came out. I'm like, well, I guess that oh, went out the window. Yep. Kyle Becker and Bobby Smirniotis let rip on refereeing, not just in this game, 
but throughout the year in the CPL. Let me play that audio just now. For me, it was a, it was a great game of football. Um, There's two teams who had a great first half. I think the guys wanted to play. And then something that we've seen of, over the last five years, which is just shocking, these refs are seemingly getting worse and worse. And there's really nothing much else to talk to. You have two teams who wanted to come out and do something. Unbelievable atmosphere here in Halifax. And uh, it's another game that's just absolutely ruined because the ref wants to make it above himself. And it's week in and week out, we see this, and no one talks about it. And it just gets worse. And no one holds them accountable. They got a guy at the top who just acts with impunity, thinks he's special. He comes into every single team, shakes everyone's hand, and then they just act like they're bigger than everything else. And it's crazy. You see it week in and week out. This isn't just a forced thing, by the way. This isn't just because they missed that PK today. It happens to both sides. It's it's calls throughout the game that they're blatantly just missed. And then there's makeup calls every single time. And they take it about themselves. Like they're handing out bench yellow cards left and right. For what? What is the point? It's crazy. And every, I think as a player, you're just sick of it. You have two, you have two teams who literally every single call coming in and be like, well, missed that one. How is that happening? It's everything. It's it's terrible. So there's really nothing much to talk about about the game. We can talk about that. Otherwise, I'm good. You want me to be honest? Sure. Two games in a row where there's two penalties that have no business being called. So you can talk about uh, formations, tactics, everything. Mitch, the bottom line is for five years, everyone's doing a great job of making sure to move this league forward. And in this season, and this isn't a forge thing, it's all across uh, the season. Uh, some things aren't moving forward. And it's not good. Right? We can't have amateur things going on at the professional level. Bottom line. Ends there. So, yeah, Kyle Becker and Bobby Smirniotis, I was going to say not pulling any punches. I think they wanted to speak more. But, like, first of all, I am stunned there was one person on the call. Mitchell Tierney was the only person on that post-game call. There was nobody there in person that would appear because the only person that asked any questions on that whole call was Mitchell Tierney. And as we've talked about in this show before, this is a very concerning aspect of the CPL that there's not a lot of media. Halifax had so many media in the past covering the team. I don't know what's happened there for a big game where they've clinched a playoff spot. But anyway, that aside, Kyle Becker says, uh, I've nothing to say about the game, but I'm happy to talk about this after going a big rant about the refs. But no other questions came because it was like, yeah, I think we'll not make sure he gets fined there. And then Bobby went off as well. I mean... Becker said the game was ruined, the refs are getting worse and worse. Bobby said, well, he threw out the S word. Shenanigans. Mm. He said there was shenanigans. And that basically it's not professional and it's very amateur and you can't have that in a professional league. And he's spot on. I mean, we've talked so much about the need for VAR, whether it's VAR light, whether it's whatever. Tommy Wielden talked a bit about it, asked him at the end of our chat with him there. I would take it your stance is the same as mine. They need something in this league. Yeah, because too many times have we seen challenges that weren't a red card be given a gift card, red card. Too many challenges that should have been a red card that weren't given a red card. Too many goals disallowed that were called offside that weren't offside. And the list goes on and on and on of so many decisions. And yes, referees 
are people that are going to make mistakes. The fact is that the caliber referees in the CPL aren't going to be as high as we see in other leagues. And even in yeah. other leagues, we see high caliber refs make yes. <laughs> gross <laughs> mistakes. So like even and with, with VAR, so even VAR can't guarantee it, but it helps. And that's what I've always said uh, every time that I've talked about VAR in the Canadian Premier League. Do I expect VAR to come in and fix everything? No. I expect it to help referees review the decisions Mm -hmm. in the same way that, you know, us as people, we would love to be able to see, hey, we made a mistake. Let's rectify it the same way in in every day, the same way the the referee should be afforded that luxury as well. Yeah, because they're going to go home and see the mistakes they've made and feel shit about it. Exactly. And it's the same way with like the VAR officials in the Liverpool game. I can only imagine, you know, that they were in the in the doghouse uh, in their own minds after that game. And for the CPL refs, the same. And, you know, referees, there's no more hated figure in the game in any part of the world than the referee, the, the amount of stick that they get. So and then why not Josh help Hared. them? Yeah, that second. OK. And then, yeah, Englishman uh, <laughs> as well. Um, but yeah, the fact that, uh, that, 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 that's how, what characters are, are the, that's the, what referees are put as, as those characters that everyone loves that just hate on. I've talked to people where yeah. like, yeah, I just hate referees on principle. And I'm like, why? <laughs> but without I, them, there's no game. And I know they've got exactly. a tough job and it's like, I, I know some personally, and this is to make their life easier and better. Exactly. So and so the fact that we it? still haven't got it. I mean, it surely is going to come. I mean, it's something everyone's going to want to ask Noonan this, I think, in in the post-game stuff. So, I don't know. Last thing to quickly talk about. York moved into fifth playoff spot. Kevin DeSantis, 88th minute winner. I only watched the highlights of this one. Um, But happy for Martin Nash. I know Martin says nobody apart from them want York in the playoffs. If it's a choice between York and Ottawa, I want York in. I want Nashi in. And yeah, good good for them. They haven't clinched it though, but it does make this game against Vancouver now on Friday night very tasty because York, a point might not even be enough for them. So they might still need to get three points against Vancouver. So that should be a good one for folk to take in. If they don't do it, Atletico need to win at Forge, which is not going to be easy. Um, and then, again, that could mean Forge don't finish second if Pacific can win at Cavalry. A lot to play out over this final weekend and then the playoff start. Can't wait. Should be an absolute cracker. Yeah, especially since, you know, it's still possible for Halifax to finish second. Yeah, and potentially I would love to do that. the CPL final because yes. if Forge lose and if Pacific lose... And Halifax win, they're second. That would, that would be uh, amazing. Because also, it means if Cavalry win the North Star Shield, Halifax in the Champions Cup. Exactly. It goes to the runners-up, bizarrely, I think, in the regular season. But, oh, let's hope that's how this weekend plays out. Looking forward to that. That is it for our chat. It's not it for this show, of course. We've got to bring you this week's Wavelength. And we're going with a song that was just released in August. Yeah, we're going right up to date. It's from an Essex singer-songwriter called David Gordon. This is inspired by the team he follows, South End United. I, I don't know 
how much folk know about the plight Southend United are in at the moment. They're in a very bad way. 117 years old, but they could be wound up on Wednesday due to a £275,000 debt that they owe the taxman. They're already under a transfer embargo. They've been deducted 10 points. They're sitting second bottom of the National League, which is the the non-league highest division. They're in a mess. There could be no more by the time the next episode comes out. So David Gordon's written a song, just memories of going to watch Southend as a younger lad and the fun off the pitch that he had with his mates. This is The Bee's Knees. Those were 
David Gordon there, the bee's knees, inspired by Southend United, we wish them all the best, hope they can survive the winding up order, there is apparently a couple of interested parties in buying them, is it too late? We'll find out soon. But that is it for this show, thank you for joining me and stepping in for Zach this week, Philippe. Any final thoughts from you? Anything that's caught your eye this week? Plug your podcast. Yeah, no, I just hope that uh, people are as excited for the end of the MLS season and the end of the Canadian Premier League season because in both, they are super exciting. Obviously, MLS with the Whitecaps, where can they finish? And with the Canadian Premier League, I think this is a season that has shown the quality that the Canadian Premier League has in terms of being exciting. Of You don't know who's going to win. You don't know who's going to make it in. Teams are surprising. So I hope more people uh, can invest their time in the Canadian Premier League because I know a lot of people think, ah, you know, it's nothing special right now. It is. And it's only going to grow. And hopefully with VAR, it helps the referees uh, grow and everything. And the team, the league just keeps getting better and better. So for those who haven't uh, put their stocks into the Canadian Premier League, I uh, strongly suggest that you start to do it now, especially with how exciting it is. And uh, on that, I have my own podcast called Coast to Coast FC with uh, Mike Rice, another fellow journalist. And we cover the Canadian Premier League. We do weekly shows. Actually, we're going to do twice a week, that kind of bi-weekly, until the end of the playoffs. Uh, bringing you interviews, fun episodes like Team of the Seasons with a bunch of guests uh, that follow and cover the Canadian Premier League as well. And uh, if you want to follow us uh, on our socials, it's at Coast to Coast FC and it's Coast to Coast FC on all of the the uh, places that you can get your podcasts. And uh, any support would be welcome because we are more than excited to be able to cover this last few weeks of the Canadian Premier League because it's super exciting. It's probably the best year of uh, the Canadian mm. Premier League in its existence right now. So if you want to uh, join us as we come to a close there, we'd be more than welcome to have you. And you can also follow myself on my own personal socials at Felipe V underscore FC, where I talk about the Whitecaps, where I talk about Vancouver FC, the Canadian Premier League, and occasionally, now that they're getting better, the uh, Spurs. Yeah. So if you <laughs> if you do if you want, are interested in any of those topics, then feel feel free to follow me on uh, Twitter. I'm not calling it X on Twitter. No, I don't. Uh, yeah, Instagram and uh, Threads, and yeah, I, I would love to to hear from you. Give Felipe a follow. Definitely check out his podcast. It's an excellent show. One of the best CPL podcasts around. You can check our stuff on AFTN.ca. Give us a follow on Twitter, AFTN Canada. Got out to my first VMSL game at the weekend as well, so we'll have video highlights up on our YouTube channel, AFTN Canada, and that. And I was going to mention this at the start, but I thought I'll save it to the end. I don't. Are, are you much of a golf fan, Felipe? Not really, but I have seen stuff about the Ryder Cup. Uh, Ryder Cup for me is right up there as one of the best sporting events, like, of any of them. It's just so much drama, the way it changed in the 90s and when Sky got involved and made it more of a a theatrical dramatisation and it tells a story and everything. I have been glued to the the Ryder Cup, staying up till like 4am to watch the morning sessions and then getting to bed for a few hours sleep and getting up trying to stay off social media so I didn't get things spoiled. Mm. Fantastic win for Europe. I've got to say I don't think there are more obnoxious fans anywhere in sport 
than American golf fans. <laughs> it's just, and the American players are not far off it. I've got to say, the it's interesting. The players don't get paid for playing in the Ryder oh, Cup, but really? a number of the American players feel they should. Whereas with Europe, it's all like we're doing this for our our country and our continent and team bonding and stuff. But Americans had they were complaining they should be paid. There was disputes about whether they wear hats or not. And they got hammered. So it was lovely to see. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, I just wish it wasn't every two years, but then it wouldn't be so special if it, if it was every year, I guess. But I've loved that. It's been good. Check out all our stuff, as I say. We'll be back with another episode soon. Leave us reviews as well, and also Coast to Coast. Leave them good reviews for their podcast. Always helps on all the podcast sites. We'll be back with another episode soon. We'll we be talking about Whitecaps Joy or Whitecaps Woes. Two games in the meantime, so we'll find out next weekend. Thanks for listening. Take care and mourn the Caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Mm-hmm.